down to business. I got my wild cherry diet Pepsi. And uh, I got my blackjack gum here. And I got that feeling. Mm. Yeah, that familiar feeling that something rank is going down out there. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you, I make you laugh, I'm here to fucking amuse you. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. Oh, you. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. You ever seen a grown man naked? Anybody move, I'll blow your fucking head off. And the medic gets out and says, oh my god. I'm your huckleberry. My advice to you is to start drinking heavily. Put that coffee down. Rolling this calls for the old Billy Barul. That's a huge bitch! The royal penis is clean, your highness. Hey, where are the white women at? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Ah, new. No. We're just getting started. What is going on, everybody? It is Friday. It is 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And this is THT Movie Review. And we have one hell of an episode for you guys tonight. Real quick, just want to thank everybody who voted. Uh, really appreciate that. Uh, those who didn't vote for Animal House, go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go fuck yourselves. Go. I was looking forward to that shit. That's the best way to start the show. Just tell your audience to go fuck themselves. In <laughs> yeah. a good name of John Belushi. Fuck all of you. Fuck all of you. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyways, Anthony, what's going on? going on not much and we have a special guest with us not really anymore bobby you're just kind of a third guy it's, yeah. <laughs> it's bobby yeah. Anthem. What's am, am, am i really that special anymore <laughs> oh yeah no we, we try to break the record with you bobby there you break go. the steve martin record like what's the who got the record on snl and it like the over five club or something like it's like uh, steve, steve martin, martin john goodman bill murray's in it Really, uh, Bill Murray? Else? Yeah, maybe. Uh, Alec Baldwin. Oh well. Oh, he got the head. He got the head of record at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy's probably chomping on those heels a little bit. Mm. Mm-hmm. I haven't. I haven't seen Saturday Night Live in so long. I yeah. haven't seen Saturday Night Live since probably. I mean, I, I've watched the I mean, Ford watched, administration. Probably. I mean, I watched the. Um, <laughs> you know, I watched The Rock when he's on. I even watched Cena. 
when he oh, that's there. another one. Rock, he he's broken the record. He's I think he's uh, been in there at least five times now. Oh, he'll be on there another five. That man has movies coming out for the next probably tw- ten years. Trust me, he's not slowing down. Not that I can see. Not that I can see. But um, we are doing one hell of a movie tonight. A um, little bit of a uh, mishmush of a movie. Uh, this is Oliver Stone's The Doors. Um, Oliver Stone to me is amazing. Uh, I'm sure you guys can pick out some of the movies. Uh, Wall Street, Any Given Sunday. Um, notice he always has a little part in every movie. He's kind of Tarantino with that. Mm-hmm. You're forgetting one big one. JFK. 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 Yeah. JFK. He loves his conspiracies. <laughs> he does, man. He really does. He likes that stuff. He, I mean, he did another one on, on uh, an Alexander the Great movie also. Um I believe it was called Alexander something, but I forget. But, uh, yeah, Oliver Stone, always a little part in his movies. Um, Any Given Sunday, he's actually a big part in Any Given Sunday. He's one of the announcers in the booth. Um, In Wall Street, he's one of the callers that's uh, the original Wall Street, not the newer Wall Street. And the original Wall Street with Charlie uh, Charlie Sheen, he's (laughs) Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen, he's one of the callers that's just on the line. He, they glance over him really fast, but you know it's him. And uh, in this movie, he has a quick cameo. He's a uh, he's the movie professor. Oh, that was him, yeah. That was yeah. him. Oh, the voice gives it away. Yeah. Oliver Stone has a voice, and you're just like, oh, that's Oliver Stone. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep, that's him. There were a couple of interesting cameos in this movie, actually, which I'm sure we'll get to. We definitely will get to them. Um, you know what? Before we get into, I'm kind of going to glance over or gloss over uh, Jim Morrison's young life. That'll tie us right into the movie. But before we do, what I want to do, hope it's okay, let's get into the casting of this movie a little bit. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie, all obviously Val Kilner as Jim Morrison. Meg Ryan plays his girlfriend, wife, uh, Pamela. Uh, Kyle, wow, I hate this name. Well said. Right. Plays... I think it's uh, McLaughlin. They took a guy with a hard name to play a guy with a hard last name. I mean, what the fuck? Kyle McCullough plays Ray Manzarek. Uh, Frank Watley, who we've, we've put him over. I, I, I love this dude. He's, I mean, I don't know about you guys. No, but I do. fucking underrated. I do. Frank Watley from uh, Career Opportunities, um, The Freshman. The fucking Jerky Boys. Jerky Boys. He was in The Freshman. He recently just did a, uh, a season five, I believe, of uh, Blue Bloods. Um, Frank Watley as Robbie Krieger, the guitar player. Kevin yep. Dillon as John Densmore. Uh, we get Michael Wincott. He was from The Crow, uh, Metro with Eddie Murphy. Ah. Uh, a few movies like that. He's been in a few more. I know I'm missing him. Um, he was Paul Rothschild, kind of their uh, agent manager kind of guy. Michael Madsen was in this as Tom Baker. We even had Billy fucking Idol in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, now... Oh, wait, you're missing a few more. Oh, I am. Uh, Dennis Berkeley 
If you don't know who he is, he played... If you ever seen a little movie with... I mentioned Charlie Sheen. Another one he was in, Beyond the Law. Ah, yeah, that that was uh, Charlie's uh, chubby chubby face. Yeah, yeah, he had to gain a little weight. He was in this, and Dennis Berkeley played Oatmeal in that movie. He's been in a few more movies, had a few more. I mean, no, no giant parts, but uh, he was in this. Um, who, who am I missing? Uh, Crispin Glover. Back yes, as Andy Warhol. He was Andy Warhol. Perfect for that part. Um, let's start with Val Kilmer. What do you guys think? I mean, obviously, you know, it, this movie was from 1991. So you had a little time to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Val yeah. Kilmer, though, to me, I'll start it off. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, fucking amazing. Um, rumor is he was doing this whole Jim Morrison thing a whole year before this movie even started. Uh, I mean, going to Jim's old spots, trying to talk to people he knew, uh, you know, as far as dressing like him and, you know, being him, uh, he really did get into this part, Val Kilner. And it showed. It did show. Um, at one point, he even sent Oliver Stone a video of him singing as Jim Morrison. And mm-hmm. Oliver Stone actually was considering some other people for the part after that. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, he pulled it off. Nobody else could, nobody else could play the role. Um, from what I understand, uh, Val Kilmer actually did... The singing in the movie. Some of it. Some of it, yeah. Some of the singing was him. Uh, some of the singing was Jim. They said a lot of the close-up uh, singing, when you saw it close-up, was more was um, Kilmer. And a lot of when, you've, when they did the farther away shots was actually Jim Morrison. And that mm-hmm. was obviously just for sound effects and, and, you know, sound things. But there were more people considered for this role. Oh yeah, uh, for the role of uh, Morrison, Tom Cruise, oh. <laughs> Jason Patrick, John Travolta. Travolta, yeah. Oh, look, I'm a tra- I love Travolta, but as Morrison, this this would have been a horrible flop of a movie. Uh, Keanu Reeves, <laughs> uh, Michael Hutchins, who was the lead singer of In Excess, uh, Bill Paxton, who. I mean, come on, recently passed away. Bill Paxton, I shouldn't have to tell anyone who he is. Richard Gere. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, Johnny Depp, and this would have been worse than any of the others, Bono. Yeah. Well, shit. What, nobody nobody had Flea's number? Oh, God. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) I mean, it's an eclectic list. It really is. And, you know, Michael Hutchins might have done a decent job. He... I believe if any of those could have done it, it might have been him. Hmm. Michael Hutchins, you know, like I said, former lead singer of NXS, uh, NXS did end up committing suicide. Yeah. Early 2000s, I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah. and that's... Go ahead. I just feel like nobody else would have... Uh would have played the role as as perfectly as Val Kilmer. I mean, he had he had everything. He looks like the guy, you know. He I mean, he really... looks enough. He looks enough like Jim Morrison, where 
you know, I mean, other than the height, because there is a there's a huge height difference. Uh, mm-hmm. Jim Morrison was not a tall dude. No, you know, no. Uh, the, the surviving members of the Doors actually said that Kilner did such a good job playing Jim and singing. They actually, when the movie was put out, they actually couldn't distinguish whose voice was whose. Um, yeah. You know, so he did, and it actually says right here, close-up shots use Val's voice, long-distance shots use Morrison. So, yeah, I was right about that. Um, I will say, I just wanted to add this real quick. Sure. What did you guys think about this whole deal where, uh, I guess, after the movie was done, apparently Val had to go through therapy <laughs> for about a year or so? After playing fucking Morrison, he got that deep into the role. I hadn't heard that, but I could see that he's, he's he one of those. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how true it is, but apparently he had to go through some serious therapy and counseling because he that that movie affected him. I can see that. Listen, some uh, he's not the only actor that's had to do that. I believe um, who had problems. I believe uh, what's his name? Daniel Day Lewis has a lot of problems. Coming oh out hell of role. yeah! Jim Carrey had a problem coming out of the uh, Kaufman role. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Look well, what happened. Yeah, to... I've said that a few times. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And look at look at what happened to Tupac after doing Juice. He became Bishop. He became Bishop. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, it's a lot of. No, I honestly, yeah, yeah, it's not the Tupac show. We're going to get to that because I'm looking forward to next week. But um, uh, I think that's a little bit different circumstance. I I think it was a uh, a lot of uh, extenuating circumstances beyond yeah. Juice. That led to Tupac becoming Tupac. Well, there's that and the fact that, you know what, there, there actually is kind of a parallel between um, Tupac and Jim Morrison as far as their artistry, you know, and, and just the way that they viewed themselves, the way that they fit into society. There are a lot of similarities between the two of them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, a, a lot of actors who get really into their roles do have a hard time coming out. Not, uh, not, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but... <laughs> didn't, I mean, didn't De Niro, I guess it was for the Godfather, I forgot which role. Didn't he say he uh, actually uh, did cocaine for one of his roles way back in the day? Because he wanted to <laughs> wanted to feel what it was like to be high off of cocaine? What role was that? I, 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 I know what you're talking about. I, yeah. I, 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 I want to say it was like either Taxi Driver or taxi something. Driver. Taxi Driver. I think driver. it might have been Taxi Driver. There yeah. you go, because he doesn't do drugs in a lot of his movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, I can't remember where I read it, but I remember him saying something like that in an interview. I know he did drugs in uh, Jackie Brown, but you yep. know, I figured he would have been passed. <laughs> passed <laughs> he was established at that point, so I'm like, yeah. I would have been like, yeah. I don't exactly. need Just an excuse at that point. I, pretty much, yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, guys. I got interrupted. Give me one minute. Um, you know what? Can you guys just kind of uh find something to talk about for like 30 seconds? I got to go let my dog inside. Yeah, no problem. All right, give me a couple seconds. I'll be right back, guys. Just uh, talk amongst yourselves. All right, who's gonna stay on track? Don't worry about it. So, Bobby, growing up, uh, were you like a Doors fan? Were you a, a Morrison Mark? I was I was somewhat of a Doors fan. I well, you know what? It's like this. I appreciated their music growing up. Um of course of course Morrison died before I was born, you know. But um I'd always heard and appreciated their music. It wasn't it wasn't 
my genre, you know, it wasn't the soundtrack of my neighborhood where I grew up, but, um, you know, I heard and appreciated the music. I could hear the, the, the art, I could hear the poetry in his lyrics always. And their music was even a little different. You know, they had, they had the, uh, you know, uh, Densmore had the, uh, you know, the rhythmic, uh, drum patterns and, uh, yeah. you know, and, uh, Ray, Ray's keys. Like I, I heard hip hop in their music and I loved it. You know, it, it, to me, it felt like hip hop and just the poetry in Jim's lyrics. So yeah, that's what made me a fan. And then when I, um, when I went to high school, I actually, uh, I was a uh, junior or senior when I, when my family moved out to a different neighborhood and we moved to a neighborhood where that was more of the music that we, uh, that we were hearing. And I got to learn a lot more about the doors at that point. So it was later in my high school years when I really became kind of a hardcore fan. Yeah. But, uh, so let me, like in terms of like, you you know, you brought up an interesting point. You appreciated the artistry of what they did. And then do you what how much of that do you attribute to the drugs or do you think that was just from the soul? I would say not, just from watching the movie, it just seemed like they kind of play it off like the more drugs he did, that's what the art the, 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 the drugs basically fueled his art, not the other way around. Right. Yeah, I think um I think it goes deeper than that. I, I wouldn't say that it came from the drugs. The drugs definitely uh, I hesitate to say helped, but, you know, for lack of a better, <laughs> better, better word, I'll say that the drugs actually helped craft their sound. But for the most part, I think it was, uh, I think it was mostly Jim. He was just, he was that much of a poet, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with, with or without the drugs, without, with or without the aid of the drugs or alcohol, Jim would have still been a poet. He still would have been an incredible creator. Spiritually, I would say that he was always... He was always, I wouldn't even say ahead of his time, but he was always just slightly out of phase with the rest of society. Just like he always seemed to have one one foot in the spiritual realm and the other foot right here in the real world, you know, and just, he would always just step back and forth between the two, with or without the aid of the drugs. Gotcha. Because I asked because, you know, you know, this is a music show, might as well say this is a music episode anyway, so... I'm going to like dip back and forth between what we're talking about and other artists as it comes to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like certain artists, whether it's him or Tupac or uh, even Eminem, I'll throw him in the discussion here. Mm-hmm. It, it just seems like their best art is drawn off of pain or negativity or like Eminem, like let's be honest when he was going through his phase of like, you know, the drug problems and the rehab and I hate my mom. I want to fucking kill this one, that one. Mm-hmm. Arguably that was when he was at the peak of his success. Yeah. But yeah. then once he got himself together and he's coming out with more positive shit, he, he named the album recovery. And this is, it, I mean, the art, the, the talent is still there, but it's just like, you don't feel that same level of passion. Yeah. But like then... He doesn't have anything to fuel him in terms of like that anger and negativity anymore. I, I think you're right in a certain in a certain respect. Um, I don't think that the I don't think that the drugs really aided in that with Eminem. You know, just with his up, upbringing and just as awful as it had to have been to him, I think that's what drove him. You know, um, that was all it needed. It was, he needed that pain. He needed that. And then once he once he had achieved his goals, then the hunger was gone. He tried to simulate it after a certain point. I, I like Eminem's music. I don't care for him as, as a person. 
you know, and I'm saying this having never met the man personally. You know, I've never interacted with him. But, you just got vibes. Yeah, I mean, just, just the way that he put himself out there. I, I didn't like the person that he presented himself as, you know. But as an artist, the man is incredible. <laughs> Lyrically, he's a genius. Anybody who says that he's not one of the greatest ever is a fucking liar. Yeah, or they just don't have a good ear for music. <laughs> or they just hate him that much that they can't, they won't give him the credit. But, <laughs> who? Uh, who are we talking about? Uh, Eminem. Oh, fuck that guy. <laughs> See, here we are. <laughs> we're talking about... <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> Fucking the Bret Hart of music right there. Fuck that guy. <laughs> oh, wow. So, come on. You're killing my dream of doing the 8 Mile episode. Man. Fuck Marshall Mathers. <laughs> fuck that dude. He's underrated, but all things considered, even if you don't like Eminem, he has a very interesting story. Seriously, good. Go tell it to someone else. Fuck. (laughs) I don't like him. I never have. Never have. As a person, I'm with you there. As a person, I'm with you. He's a piece of shit as a human being, but he's an incredible artist. I didn't like. You can't take that away from him. I I I I will, and I just did. Matter of fact, I'd shake Brett's heart, Bret Hart's hand before Eminem's. How's that? <laughs> oh shit! Rock, you woke up for this episode, didn't you? <laughs> I bitch slap Eminem. To be honest with you, oh, Eminem is the is your trigger on this show. <laughs> <sighs> I'm all right. I'm okay. All right, I'm okay. All right. Move, moving along. Moving I just right heard y'all say Eminem, and I'm like, great. I'm like, did you put those two in the same fucking sentence? Who the fuck is this? What's going on? <laughs> what are we talking? We're gonna talk about Eminem. Like, I stepped away for a fucking minute, and we're talking about Eminem. <laughs> well, well, Box, I, I'm gonna throw the same question to you. Cause okay. <laughs> the reason Eminem got brought up is we were talking, having this discussion here about artists that are driven by like negativity or drugs and. Whether it's the art or whether it's the drugs that fuel them, what's your opinion on that? Um, in terms of Jim Morrison, especially. Well, in terms of Jim Morrison, I, I mean, I, I did hear what Bobby was saying. I agree. He would have been something, whether it was a writer, a poet. He would have been something without the drugs. But I, excuse me, I, I believe the drugs opened his mind. He even says in one point when he goes to see Ray in the movie. You know, I, I I went to the desert and got lost. The drugs, I think, expanded his thinking. I don't think it 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 was his thinking. I think it was the expansion to his thinking. If that makes any sense at all, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it it, it, it wasn't what put it this way. It it wasn't his fuel, but it was. You know, it, 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 you know, it was the lighter sometimes, <laughs> you know, igniting yeah, it. Yeah. It was definitely igniting the fuel sometimes, which basically, was uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Basically, it allowed him to express feelings that were already in his subconscious. I think so. And, you know, a lot of bands, I mean, you know, you look at the a band like the Beatles, it's, it's a huge <laughs> argument. Some people will say they got so much better once they started tripping on acid. And some people will say, oh, that, 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 that was horrible when they started taking drugs. They started putting out all these weird fucking songs. But a lot of Beatles fans will say their best stuff is when they were all fucked up and tripping on acid. Well, shit. I mean, I don't know whether we brought this up. I think we brought this up a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. 
when we brought up Jimi Hendrix. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> didn't he didn't he do shows like fucked up on acid? Oh, oh absolutely, fucked up. Hendrix had acid. Like I was saying, he had acid tucked in his waistband, his eyelids, his cheeks, his gut. I mean, his shoes. Anywhere he could put it and soak it in his body, he would do it. Uh, but yeah, he was Jimmy's one where I might say the drugs did fuel his music. I I I, I believe he might be the 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 opposite of Morrison. Yes. Yeah, you're probably right there. Yeah, and yeah. again, I'm you know this is just me from what I can hear and you know have yeah. seen, uh, but. You know, I, I, I think he may have been a little opposite. I believe Jimmy thought the drugs made his music. And, um, you know, I, although, nah, yeah, yeah, I'll stick with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. But um, The Doors is a band I kind of got turned on to when I was 15 years old. All my sister's friends were two years older, and they were getting me into all this music. And The Doors, Led Zeppelin. Uh, mm-hmm. Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. They started, you know, letting me listen to all that shit, and just kind of changed my perception on music a little bit. <clears throat> you know, I definitely, definitely love the Doors. Still love Floyd. Anything by Floyd is still a fucking amazing. Um, you know, I, I don't know how you guys. Uh, Anthony probably doesn't know many songs by Pink Floyd. Yeah, he probably does. Just doesn't know it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, I mean, yeah, my my musical taste, honestly, you know, talk about uh, talk a lot about hip hop on the show, but uh, honestly, my musical taste is across the board. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were to see my, if you were to look at my SoundCloud playlist, it'd be like <laughs> to go from Tupac to uh, Phil Collins to uh, oh god, you ever heard of a song called Christian Woman? No, Christian Woman. Yeah, if you hear it, if you hear it, you'll know it. Um. Trying to think of who sings it. I can't think of the artist at the time. Off the top of my head, right this minute. But I don't know. Quit banging. Quit banging. (laughs) (laughs) Quit fucking tapping. Uh, (laughs) Nah, nah. Never heard that one. Mine's the same way. I'm all. I mean, Shaheen bitches at me all the time. What the fuck are you playing? Sorry, man. ZZ Top. What the fuck? (laughs) If you don't like ZZ Top, you got fucking issues, man. Fucking, that's a hell of a guitar. Oh, I got it now. I just looked it up. Typo negative. Oh, typo negative. Okay. Typo negative. I, I I know who they are, but yeah, if you hear that song, you've heard it before. It, it came out in nineteen ninety three. Hmm. I probably have. I, I've I've pl- I used to play some typo negative at uh, at my house when I had parties. <laughs> I think yeah, I'm, I'm not. It's not my genre. I'm not very familiar with uh, with their music, but I'm sure I've heard them. I'm probably. sure. Yeah. Probably. Well, all right. I guess let's get into this shit real quick, huh? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's start this. This is a two-hour and 20-minute movie. So let's get into this real quick. Like I said, I'm going to start off, just kind of gloss over his uh, Jim Morrison's life a little bit. Uh, Jim Morrison, born James Douglas Morrison, uh, born 1943, December 8th, 1943, in Melbourne, Florida. I did not actually know that. Um, now, I, I wanted to kind of gloss over that because, you know, it doesn't really get 
a lot into his childhood. Uh, basically, it says, you know, his ancestors were Scottish, Irish, and English. Um, when he was, and this is where it gets, uh, ties right into the movie. When he was four years old, uh, Morrison allegedly witnessed a car accident in the desert during which a truck overturned and some Native Americans were lying injured on the side of the road. Now, he refers to this incident in a song, and a lot in this movie he refers to it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'll, you know, th that's one reason I did want to point all this out. Um, now, his family does recall, or they don't, they don't recall the incident happening exactly the way he said it. Um, you know, they recall, they did, they absolutely did get into a drive by the accident, and they said that it, um, there were some Indians, one of the men was crying, and that did affect him very much. The, it, it's kind of gotten more exaggerated over the years with Jim Morrison, you know, bleeding to death, uh, you know, lying on the road, scattered all over, bleeding to death and everything. But um, his parents and his sister basically said, mm, no, no, it didn't really happen like that. But it definitely did affect him. Yeah. Um, and that's it's not the exact beginning of the movie but it's you know one of the beginning scenes in the movie is where they are driving and um they end up driving past that accident and the native american theme comes up a lot in this yeah. movie a lot and we'll probably point out a few of them as we're going um but uh i guess we can start Start with playing a few clips right here. I'm gonna start right here where he, uh, right here. Let's just start it. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. There you go. Let me tell you about heartache and the loss of God. Wandering, wandering in hopeless night. Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stone, immaculate. Okay, which brings us to the New Mexico 1949, where he does drive past this accident uh, that uh, affects his life. And, uh, you know, I thought that was a good place to start. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? But, uh, you know, crazy, crazy, crazy beginning to this movie. You know, you kind of watch it and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Especially if you don't know anything about Jim Morrison's life. Uh, but it's an Oliver Stone movie, so you just kind of wait. And you'll, you know, you know eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to tie itself together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they drive by the accident and he's staring at the Indians and, you know, they do show bleeding Indians and, you know, a man crying, uh, uh, another one lying dead. And he's just kind of staring off like, oh, what's going on? But it definitely yeah. was one of the things that affected his life. What was that, Anthony? No, I was saying, like, the expression on his face reminded me of, like, one of these kids that they kind of dope up today mm. when they want him to be quiet. Yeah. Exactly. But like even as a kid, I guess he would have been probably about five, six here. Mm. <laughs> he was uh he looked kind of like sp spaced out of his mind. Well, he was four, right there. 
And he was affected by it. His mom told him, like, Jim, it's just a dream. (laughs) Yeah, just a dream. He woke him up to show him, like, open road. And then once they pulled up on the scene, it's just a dream. You know, no wonder he did fucking drugs. He was told everything was a fucking dream. Jesus Christ. That's a good point. That's another thing, yeah. A lot of fucking dream sequences in this movie. Well, they're not dream sequences. They're trips, dude. They're trips. I mean, this guy's on fucking acid and peyote half the movie. Mm-hmm. You got to realize that. I mean, one part they do go to the you know the desert. We'll get into that to do the peyote. But um, you know, th- this movie does jump from him being four years old right to being twenty-one years old. Uh, they're in Venice Beach, California, and uh, you know they're uh, he's sort of walking around with with no shirt on. Now, I do want to point out another kudos to uh, Val Kilmer here. If you th- this movie was shot out of order, so he had to actually kind of time when to start gaining the weight <laughs> in order to do the later scenes. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, he didn't want to because he was going to be walking around with his shirt off. Uh, most of the, I mean, you know, the some most of the beginning of the movie, he's got his shirt off. You know, he, obviously he goes to that you know famous. Uh, photo shoot, his shirt is off, so he, you know, had to really judge when to start gaining the weight for the movie, and uh, obviously did because you know we'll get into it. One part of the movie, he's uh, breaks out his tummy, and it's uh, yeah, nothing wrong with being a large mammal. Yep, nothing wrong with being a large <laughs> mammal. So, but you know, I mean, they're just kind of you know showing you Venice Beach, bunch of guys working out, and you know the girls and. All that. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of going through there. But, um, again, they don't show a lot of the younger Jim Morrison in the movie at all. Uh, Yeah, I I wanted to ask you guys about that. I mean, obviously, you guys enjoyed this movie, and I enjoyed it for the most part as well. But do you think that was like a drawback that they didn't kind of like explain like how Morrison became to be Morrison? They, They basically take you from the car crash to... Oh, like you said, he's 21 now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, basically, you're kind of left wondering with, like, how did he develop the drug problem? How did he develop, you know, no, you know what? the poetry? They kind of like, like left a lot of gaps for the imagination. I don't think so. In my opinion, that 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 uh, that powerful scene with the Native Americans told it all. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. That's the way I saw it. That is what made him him, according to this, this movie and... You know, uh, I I believe they're basically telling you in that part this affected his life so much that, you know, it it stayed with him forever. Obviously, you know, he carried that with him and, you know, it it, it sort of shows in the movie a little bit. Um, But, you know, we're seven minutes into the movie and he's already meeting uh, Pamela, played by Meg Ryan, who still looks good in this movie. Uh, now, remember, Val Kimler, Meg Ryan did do another movie together. What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? Come on, Iceman. It was Top Gun. It was Top Gun. Val Kimler was in Top Gun. She played Goose's uh, wife in Top Gun. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. You guys forgot. How could you forget that? <laughs> uh, well, here's one for you. 
What? I've never seen Top Gun. What? I've never wow. seen Top and and get this. Don't hate me, Anthony. I've never seen any of the Godfather's movies. Whoa. Never well, seen it. I'll give you a pass on that, Bobby. Uh, just see the first two. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> That's, a good That's what everybody yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, Garcia was good. But, I mean, honestly, outside of one line, three sucked. That's what everybody says. Yeah, uh, you never you got an Italian. You, you, you got, what is, uh, uh, well, he's, uh, I guess, Hispanic, of Hispanic descent. I'm not going to try to predict what his exact uh, nationality right, right. is. But uh, you had him playing an Italian, and it just, <laughs> Jesus Christ, it, it didn't work. Jeez. Even Pacino looked bored filming that whole thing. <laughs> he probably was. Um, now, we had mentioned Tom Cruise was, uh, you know, up for the one of the lead roles in this movie of, of um, you know, Morrison. And, uh, you know, he did end up working with Oliver Stone again on Born on the Fourth of July. Uh, 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 did you ever see that movie? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been a while, but I have seen it. And Frank Watley also in there with Tom Cruise. Yeah, terrible choice. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, like you said, Val Kilmer was the perfect choice, hmm. just for the simple fact, like you said, he looks like him, and he—I mean, just his body language and facial—he just looks—he looks troubled. <laughs> with Tom Cruise, everything he's in, even if he's supposed to be troubled, quote unquote. He just looks like somebody that hasn't been through shit. He's still pretty boy Tom Cruise. That's what yeah. I mean. I, 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 can't, I can't picture, like, you can't put, you can't make uh, Tom Cruise the homeless guy in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's too much of a pretty bitch. Although. <laughs> that's, that's what it describes Tom Cruise. Although, watch Tropic Thunder. He does very well on that part. <laughs> Did you forget that was him in Tropic Thunder? Yeah, kudos to the makeup department for that one. Oh yeah, definitely. But he, he you know, I, 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 it, it actually took me a minute to realize that was Tom Cruise. You know, I was like, shit, that's Tom Cruise. Yeah, I didn't care for Tropic Thunder. It was the best movie, but it, it, it was funny. I'll sit there, yeah. get stoned, and laugh at it. I mean, turn your brain off for it. I mean, like it's, it's not changing the world, but it, it was good yeah. for what it was. It was, it was. Um, you know, and you know, like I said, seven minutes in. And he meets Pam, and he does say a little line here that uh, is a little bit of foreshadowing in the movie, and I'll go ahead and play that real quick. Oh, hold on. Once I get it off mute. Hi. Got a problem with doors? Waste of time. There you go. He sneaks up on her, and she says, you have a problem with doors? And he says, waste of time. So there you go, right yeah. there. Oh god! Right there, he said, "Band name." No. You know what? I didn't notice this until just this second, just until you played that. Either did you hear the music in the background? It's it's Love Street. Hold on, let me. I'll play it again. Let's see. Okay. I believe it's Love Street playing. Okay. Yeah, it's Love Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I think that's Love Street. I had to play it yeah, yeah, again. Yeah. I know, but yeah, it is Love Street. But yeah, right there mentions a little bit. You know, there it is. There's the doors. They're a waste of time. <laughs> waste of time. You know, another interesting part about this scene or about this movie in general. Mm. 
it made casual stalking cool. <laughs> you got to look. You got to look good, because he basically stalked this woman and they fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> if this were 2017, that wouldn't that wouldn't fly so well. Well, it was like 1968. Not even. <laughs> Not even 1968. Yeah, it was before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not even yeah, there. He yet. basically followed. I, I just for some reason I just picked up on that part. Like he literally followed this followed this woman, and at one point as she's like approaching her house, she kind of turns around and sees him, and he just kind of does the old look away and just leaning like, "Yeah, I ain't looking at you." <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought that was kind of funny. He's playing it cool, man. He's playing it cool, but uh, you know it. We get in. He's kind of uh, he, he's in a uh, he's in college, and he's in a movie uh, major, obviously. And he starts showing his movie, and the class is kind of heckling it, not understanding it. And again, you know, maybe he was a little ahead of his time with his words and his his thoughts, but. Um, you know the class didn't really like it. Again, Oliver Stone is the uh, professor of the of the class here, but Ray is Ray. By the way, Ray Manzik is sitting there telling him, you know, fuck him. The movie's great. Uh, now, by the way, Ray is also the only one who turned down Stone's request to help in this movie, uh, and also believes that this a this is a horrible account of the history of this band. Yeah. So. You know, it's which like John Singleton. Yeah, which kind of goes to say, you know, hey, what's what's real, what's not? But um, you know, well, Oliver Stone himself said that there's there's a lot of uh, he took some liberties making the movie. He always so, does. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's Hollywood. You know, sure. you have to do that. Sure, so. sure, absolutely. You know, and then we're kind of it goes a little more. He quits movie school because no one understands his movie, and kind of disappears for a while. But of course, he does go see Pamela. Starts talking to her a little bit. But uh, after that, is where it gets a little. You know, he while he's talking to her though, you know, and again, this you know, what kind of guy was Jim, and you know, where did he start getting some of his thinking from? You can hear a little bit of it right here. He starts talking about, you know, the medicine man, the shaman. And he kind of saw himself as the as a shaman or a medicine man himself. You know, I'll just hear real quick. I'll go ahead and get a little bit of that out there. The Indians, he gets into a peyote trance. And he gets deeper and deeper. And then he has a vision. And the whole tribe is healed. All cultures have a version of it. Greeks have theater and gods. The Indians say the first shaman invented sex. They call him the one who makes you crazy. Who turns you on? I don't know. Um, experience. Freedom. Love. You know that the first time I did acid, I saw God, and I, I saw a friend of mine who was Christ, but he was Judas too. You know, and then I realized that somehow that was the secret of everything. We're all one, the universe is one, and that everything is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Now, 
this is, I'm going to play the other little part to this because this is another part where you, again, a little more, not foreshadowing, but it tells a little bit about this man was not afraid to die. And he sort of thought throughout the whole movie that that he was dying. If you say, I mean, you sort of watch this movie. But, um, you know, here, I'll go ahead and finish up. I feel most alive confronting death, experiencing pain. I think you're most alive by recognizing beauty, seeing truth. Does death turn you on? Love death? Life hurts a lot more. When you die, the pain's over. Whoa. Life hurts a lot more when you die, the pain is over. That's a little chilling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, once again, you know, Bobby, you hit the nail on the head earlier. You know, those those parallels with Tupac. I mean, I don't think either guy was necessarily, quote unquote, suicidal. But I just think they just they had this vision that they didn't have a lot of time on this earth. Mm-hmm. And it's just like they just felt like they 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 weren't scared of dying. They was just like they rather die than have to deal with the bullshit that they felt like their life was like filled with. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And they knew they knew that it was coming. And I believe they, especially, well, I'm not gonna say especially Jim. Both of them, I think, they knew that they were somewhat limited by life. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. And you know, I mean, Jim. He wasn't trying. I mean, he knew the way he was living. He knew he was taking drugs. He, I mean, come on. He wasn't hiding from anything. He, he was, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, himself. they say like you know, young. Yeah, I hate and I hate that phrase too, young and dumb. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't got to be, you don't got to be fucking seventy. You don't got to be forty-five years old to realize that doing copious amounts of drugs <laughs> probably yeah, going to end well for you. It may catch up. It may catch up. Um. It definitely may catch up, but you know this is where he meets Ray, right here in the in this part of the movie, and I'll admit I've got a big list of stuff to play because there's a lot of parts in this movie that are very, I don't know, poignant. Hey, the clips tell a story. To be honest with you, yeah. better than we ever could. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, B makes is saying that the South American uh, shaman they do ayahuasca. I have wanted to try ayahuasca for years, oh, too, man. man. I have really wanted to go down and do one of those fucking ayahuasca tr- uh, journeys and stuff. Yeah, I hear nothing opens your mind like that. I hear the same thing, and I would yeah. love to go down to fucking, like, they say Brazil is the best place to do it, I think. Joe well, Rogan talks about it all the time. And and I'll be honest, it this might be fucked up to say, but... uh. If WWE had it took John Morrison, as far as fucking Val Cameron did for this movie, they would have had a superstar on their hands. <laughs> I, th- I think so. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, outside of the dying part, young know, before his time, I, I honestly think if they had to let him push that envelope a little bit more with the character, mm-hmm. you never know. True. True. You don't. I mean, he was already. He was already. You know, lizard. He was already stealing the gimmick. The guy's gimmick names anyway. <laughs> I'm in a sex. Come on now. I mean, that's who. That's that, I don't know. Someone. I could. I could see Vince guy. You look like that gym guy. The doors. The doors guy. 
<laughs> and, even, and even though that probably would have been in Vince's uh, time, that, that would have been his era. I just don't picture him even back then listening to Jim Morrison. He probably, like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> I think Vince might surprise you with his music yeah, choices. Yeah. He might like a little light my fire. Fire. <laughs> we should have stole that song instead of great balls of fire. Light my fire. Good pay-per-view name. Two months yeah. away. <laughs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> All right, I, I do want to get again, like I said, into the part where he meets Ray, tells Ray a few things that kind of uh, point you down the 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 old journey through the movie. So. Try acid, Ray. Shit. It's guaranteed. Shit, Morrison. Oh, the last trip was a real bummer, man. You never had a bummer on acid? No, I'm trying naturally, Hyde. Yeah, whatever works. Making movies at MGM yet? Yeah, I got him to see the head of production over there. And he said, where is your script? I said, I don't need a script. Godard doesn't use a script. He improvises with the camera. This is great. Who's Godard? I'm off movies, man. Went out to the desert, got lost. That was the part that I was talking about. Went out to the desert, got lost. I This is where I believe the drugs started really opening his mind a little more. And I think, I think a couple of things were uh, rocks to him. Life rocks. You know what I mean? Holding him down from being completely out of hand. One was this girl he just met. Pamela through the movie, you'll see, is Fucked up as she was, she was his rock, and he loved her with every bit of his heart. And I think Ray was a very good friend to him, trying to trying to control him, but couldn't. Could only do so much, you know what I mean? Yeah. But... You know, but I mean, th th those are a couple of the things that I definitely think were kind of his rocks in this movie. But definitely this is where, you know, Ray kind of, I mean, this this part is where basically the doors are founded. You know, so yeah. let's, I'll finish it up since that. I know the music makes the audio a little tough to listen to and the waves aren't helping, but uh, I'm sure you guys can hear it fine. I've been living up on Trick's rooftop. Not stuck on a chick. So what else are you doing? Writing. Songs, poems, stuff like that. You writing songs? Show me your one. Shy. <laughs> sing it to me. I can't sing. I gotta be able to sing better. Now he said he was shy. <laughs> which you don't really see that I wanted to pause and talk for him a second here. You don't really see that in him. But on their first performance, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, you'll see that he really is a very shy guy. <laughs> so, here we go, I'll finish this up. Dylan, man. Johnny's in the basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. <laughs> well, let me hear your words. Let's swim to the moon. Ah, 
Let's climb through the time Penetrate the evening That the city sleeps too high Let's swim out tonight, love It's our turn to try Park beside the ocean on a moonlight drive. And that is the song Moonlight Drive by the Doors. Uh, Ray loved it, obviously. I mean, again, listen to Morrison's words. And I know when I came back from my little uh, Let the Dog in, you guys were talking about how words meant a lot. And, you know, you guys have, you know, why do I, 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 I enjoyed Tupac because he had something to say. You could listen to the words in his songs and they meant something. You know, it wasn't like now or the him and him and that. And literally, this is that I'm I'm singing. I I just I just made a song. Y'all should. It's okay. We're recording. We're recording. Oh yeah, and especially you know, once again, (laughs) I feel like this is going to be a dual uh, Jim Morrison Tupac episode because the more the more we go through the show here, I'm really starting to see the parallels. Mm -hmm. And and if you and you know you say that you uh, appreciated what Tupac had to say in terms of his words, if you listen to a lot of his early work. Mm Before the angry work, you'll really appreciate his work. Yeah, and I have, like I said, my you know my my, my buddy Rigel always played that. I heard a lot of his stuff, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I got to, like I said, I got to listen to a lot of the words and hear a lot of the words being screamed at me during <laughs> games of spades and hearts. Yes, <laughs> I was actually quite political before, like like I said before the you know the, the rape allegations and the legal shit and mm-hmm. the West Coast East Coast stuff. Yeah, he was very much political. He was raised by a panther. Yeah, true. And you know, I, I got BMX in the chat here saying, you know, the one of the main criticisms of Morrison, even today, he couldn't sing. Listen, the Doors was two things: great words and a yeah. great sound. And you oh, know yeah. what? I'm gonna bring up another band, and we already mentioned him. I know no one likes this guy. No one likes this band. You two, good words. Good sound, Bono can't sing. Spoken, <laughs> it, 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 ladies and gentlemen, it's called spoken poetry. That's all it is. It's musical poetry. It's poetry put to fucking music. You know, yeah. but I mean, not everyone is, and you know, I, I may be going out on a limb here. Not everyone's a Morrison or a Marilyn Manson, believe it or not, started out writing, po- his songs were poetry, believe it or not. Yes. Yeah. Someone told yeah. him, your voice, you should be writing these as songs instead of poetry. Yes, I mean, yeah, not, 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 not everything has to rhyme. Not everything has to have a, a melody to... Some things are just meant to be heard and not necessarily uh, not necessarily dance to or whatever. Yeah, you know, the best, uh, the best recording artists, in my opinion, are poets, mm-hmm. you know, at, at their base. Morrison, Morrison was clearly a poet, clearly... A lyricist and in my opinion that's what made him a great singer you know he wasn't he, he wasn't a good he he could actually take songs that somebody else wrote and and make them good i mean look at robbie most of their most of their commercial hits were written by robbie mm-hmm. actually right um 
But it, it was Jim's lyrics and his passion that made him a great singer. Yeah. Now, yeah, yes. Yeah. Now you say that the actually Robbie during the filming of this movie insisted the scene showed he was the composer of the song and not oh, yeah. him. And actually, it's funny you bring that up because that's the exact scene I was going to play is where they actually, uh, they're in that little uh, little house studio recording and they come up with that. Um, by the way, real quick, Kevin Dillon, the guitarist, um, was in three episodes of NYPD Blue. <laughs> <laughs> He was I like a, how you slipped that in. He played the a gimmick cop. will never die. He played a cop. He played uh God, what was his name? Hold on here. He played a cop. Uh Neil Baker. Officer Baker. Him and uh him and Rick Schroeder had a lot of uh a lot of scenes together. So here we go. I came up with something. Oh, this is Robbie, by the way, saying he came up with something and creating what came to be their, I would say, most notable song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Most commercialized song. How's that? Yeah. 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 A minor and F sharp. You know that it would be untrue. You know that I would be a liar. If I was to say to you, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Come on, baby, light my fire. G A D. Try to set the night on fire. That's great, Robbie. You got some nice changes in there. Any more lyrics? Yeah, yeah, some. I call it light my fire. Figure if I'm gonna compete with your stuff, it better be about earth, snakes, or fire. So. <laughs> I like you. Sounds like the birds, though, man. But I, I like it. I like it. It's good. A little Latin beat will do it some justice. Maybe put a, a couple Start long over, solos over, like Start uh, over. like Coltrane did on my favorite thing. Start over. I'm gonna pause for a minute. Um, you know, you can hear that. And I just want to rewind a little bit to what we were talking about about great sound and this and that. B makes in the chat brought up a sort of Dylan esque kind of uh, singer, Jim Croce. Uh, I don't know, uh, Bad Bad Leroy Brown, oh, yeah. uh, Don't yeah, Mess yeah. Around with Jim, uh, mm -hmm. many, many great songs, but a talker more than a singer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Really was a talker more than a singer. And, you know, I'm going to bring up one more quick band, and it's good. this may be even more out there. Thin Lizzy. You guys know who Thin Lizzy is? Yeah, again, not my genre, but yeah. Jailbreak, the boys are back. Uh, yeah, the boys yeah. are back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He talked his songs. He didn't sing. Yeah. He talked his songs. He really did. If you listen to... I mean, if I, if I played Jailbreak, the man is not singing. He's basically <laughs> fucking talking out the words, but, you know, and I'm I'm not going to play it. I mean, but, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can hear it, but... Um, yeah, Jim Croce, one of the one, another amazing, underrated musician, under fucking rated. I put him up there with Dylan, with Bob that's, Dylan. To be honest with you, wow, that's that's actually high praise. 
I th- I think it is. I mean, most people will. Bob Dylan he couldn't sing for shit. No, he couldn't. But that wasn't the point. Right. It wasn't the point back then. Getting your message out was the point. And he did it through the music. So yeah. you know, and you know what? We still talk about Bob Dylan today. Mm-hmm. So great singer. Look, you're gonna tell me Mick Jagger's an amazing singer? Go fuck yourself. Great <laughs> front man. Great band. Legendary. Not a good singer. Not a good singer. Yeah, but, but, yeah, it's like it's like you said though. It's about the words, and it's just about some people just have an R about them. Like Jim Morrison, if he if Jim Morrison were alive today, he's one of those guys that could just walk into a room, and even if you didn't know a fucking thing about him, you would get this sense that he was somebody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some people just say that or you you can't you really can't put your finger on it, but some people just have a certain presence about them to where even if they're not necessarily talented. Or, or they don't have that skill set in that specific genre, mm-hmm. they can pull it off. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to go back and finish up this to where we actually do get to light my fire. But, um, you know, I, I did just want to kind of, you know, go back to that because D- Jim Croce is probably one of the best examples that we I completely didn't even think of, and I wanted to mention that. Thank you, B-Megs. Great one, man. But here, I'll go back to this real quick. <clears throat> yeah, A minor, B minus, jazz. Yeah, man, yeah. Time to hesitate Some kind of intro. No time to wallow in the mind. Try now, we can only lose. And the love becomes a funeral pyre. Come on, baby, light my fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. Try to spend the night on fire. There you go. Now, this is actually Jim singing. Or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Val. Excuse me. (laughs) This is actually Val singing this. So, God, he really did get fucking good at this part, man. I mean, absolutely amazing. Um, Now, again, Jim grabs the guys, walks outside while Ray tries to figure out a uh, intro intro for the song. And he's asking the guys a little bit, hey, man, have you guys ever taken drugs while you play? You should try it. And uh, basically tells him we should go to the desert and do some fucking peyote. Uh, while they're out there, I might be able to play a little bit of that conversation. Let me go back a little bit here. Tank. <laughs> hey, how about that acid? Come huh? I mean, when you race, see what kind of trouble we can get into tonight. Well, you always get all the chicks. I always get the dogs. Hey, I got it! Brings them out, getting into some trouble. And Ray does come up with the intro, which might be one of the, again, most notable intros by the sound today. Really could be one of the most not- notable in- introductions to a song. You immediately know what song is on when this, when when this, 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 when the first chord hits. Come on, you know. And I got it. it. I got the intro, man. Hang on a second, John. Count off from four, man. One, two, three. There you go. And that's the sound they were looking for right there. Um, you know, and again, you know, we mentioned that they were a sound, and that's really what they were. 
and you know BMX brought this up earlier in the chat, and I did want to bring it up. They made a, they had no bass guitarist. No, they sure did not. <laughs> no, they were a singer, a drummer, a keyboardist, and a guitarist. Yeah. No bass, which a lot of music back then was a lot of bass guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, so definitely different. Um, we're now at the part definitely where definitely we're trying to like carve out a new, a unique yeah. niche. So. Yeah. Now, a little bit later on, they did they did use um, studio musicians for mm-hmm. their uh, for their bass, mm-hmm. but um, you know, in, in the beginning, it was all it was all Ray on the keys. Absolutely, man. Definitely, and he was great. Now we do go to one of their first concerts here, and we said, you know, he was shy. Jim won't turn around, and he just won't turn around. He's singing "Break On Through," and just back to the fucking audience. Girls are screaming. Finally, he gets the confidence to turn around, and the girls go nuts. They're screaming. They're yelling. Uh, and like their first show, record companies start noticing them a little bit. Uh, one of the guys that they meet—I don't even know who this guy really is—he uh, um, basically tells Jim Morrison to dump the band, that he's the one they want. That's another thing that comes up a lot of time in the movie: is that you're the one they want. You know, right. the Doors is nothing but just a little band. You know, you're who they want, and um, you know it, it's it's it is something. But uh, you know, before a little while ago, um, Anthony, you brought yep. up the whole Lizard King thing, and um, you know, a- after that concert, you know, you you also said Jim Morrison was the kind of guy that you could just walked into a room and you would know he was somebody. Yeah, he, he just had, like I said, whatever, you know, you always hear in wrestling or just in general mm-hmm. that in fact you can't put your finger on it, whatever it is, but some people just had that aura about it. They had that rock star presence about them. Yeah. Whether you want to talk about Jim Morrison and you want to, whether you want to talk about Tupac, especially guys that died well before that time, Tupac mm-hmm. 25, still talking about them. Jim Morrison 20. 27 he'd been dead well over what 40 years now mm-hmm. people still yeah. talk about him like as like a godlike person elvis presley you, you yeah, gotta throw elvis in there he still talked about the man yeah, still with you, the man still has one of the highest selling christmas albums every year and he's dead yeah yeah dead <laughs> Tupac may or may not be dead, and he's still making money. Well, Elvis may or may not be dead, <laughs> and he's when still last making time, money. When was the last time Elvis had an unreleased uh, album come out? <laughs> I don't know. I thought you fuck with nobody say Tupac is in a studio somewhere. Elvis was too smart for that shit. Elvis is too smart for that shit. Danny Cuba. Elvis was an honorary FBI member. No, they're not going to let him put an album out. <laughs> right. Oh, God. They're not going to let him do that. No, but, but seriously, though, how insane is that? Whether you're Tupac, whether you're Elvis, all these years later, and your album, you put out an album, anything that comes out with your name on it, still just like go sells like gangbusters. Well, that's insane to me. I mean, Elvis has, I mean, you got to realize that his people still crowd to Graceland Graceland every year. 
you know, his his old house. There's a lot of stuff still going on with EPE, Elvis Presley, you know, and entertainment. And uh, he, there's a, that, that daughter of his and Priscilla, they're still making money off his name. Oh, shit. Well, we would be remiss if we didn't bring up another guy, uh, Prince. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, and he, and you know, God, but I mean, you know, he, you know, he still, still has stuff that we have yet to hear. Mm. I, oh, exactly. I, I guarantee Absolutely. you, like, like they probably got about at least about at least five years worth of material that they could they 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 could slowly roll out, and they probably will. Yeah, and he recorded will. a new song every day, or wrote wrote and recorded wrote and or recorded a new song every single day. Wow, man, just amazing. Yeah. And just I think amazing. he might honestly, when we lost him, we lost probably one of the last true artists. <laughs> instrument, yeah, the whole nine. Well, yeah. I mean, there, there, there's a few more out there that can do that, but there's not many left, man. But yeah. um, you know, after this little concert, let's let's jump back in. We still we're only thirty minutes into the movie. After that little <clears throat> first concert they do, they go out to celebrate a little bit. Um, they're walking down uh, uh, Hollywood Boulevard, and uh, you can hear a little someone kind of familiar here walking down. Here he goes. Walk by Janice doing a little singing right there, real quick. <laughs> but what you know, Anthony was saying earlier, he's the, he's the kind of guy that could you know kind of hold a crowd, and he could. This guy could fucking hold a crowd, man. Um, and this shows it. He out of nowhere jumps on a fucking car. Staring at the stars. He did that a lot. He would just sort of fade off. They do go into the desert. They're taking peyote. They're all tripping. Fucked up. Puking. Tripping. Puking. Tripping. But, uh, you know, Jim Jim gets a little deep into it, which I don't think that surprises anybody. But uh, Definitely a crazy little part in the movie where they're all tripping. Again, the Native Americans come in a little bit here. Um, but, you know, they all do the drugs for different reasons. Jim is taking the drugs kind of as an escape. Um, and, you know, they're in the middle of a concert, and Jim does freak out a, a little bit. Um, all right, he freaks out a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, you know... Uh, the drummer, uh, uh, Kevin Dillon, Jesus, John Densmore was saying, you know, he always goes off, off, off what we rehearsed, and you know, but this is another part where he goes completely off of what they've rehearsed and uh, play it. They're oh. in the middle of the song, the end, and Jim just goes off the fucking rails here, 
And uh, again, he's fucked up. He's tripping. And here we go. Actually, you know what? I forgot. I'm a little before that. But I did want to mention in that part, you can see Frank Watley, the Robbie, is fucked up. <laughs> fucked up in this part. Uh, he's definitely taking the fucking the drigs on the stage. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and this is a few more seconds. I'm going to get to the exact part that I was looking for where he does start freaking out. And that part will be actually right about now. Father? Yes, son. I want to kill you. Father? Now, real quick, during this part, the drummer looking at him like, what the fuck? His girl Pamela's looking at him like, whoa, this is a little weird for even for Jim. And uh, he keeps going and going, though. Um, yeah, he's all messed up. He ends up falling down. The girls are grabbing at his pants. Uh, but yeah, at one point, Ray looked like he was about to come <laughs> while playing. I'm like, oh, easy, Ray. Easy, yeah, Ray. Yeah, I'm about to say, right, yeah, make sure you put something after that come part, Box. Uh, hard? He's <laughs> something. Finish that <laughs> sentence. Don't end it on come. <laughs> what, uh, what, yeah, I mean, they're the owner of the bar is throwing Jim around like, "What the fuck were you thinking?" And uh, Jim is yelling. <laughs> what I like about what I like about that scene though is it showed it showed the solidarity really between the guys as a band. Because oh yeah. they didn't stop. They didn't stop playing. No, you know, nobody ever knew what the fuck Jim was gonna say. You know, they could have just easily stop playing and walked off but they kept going they mm-hmm. kept playing and they kept the music tight yeah exactly you know? exactly now now that is that is for the movie because i know that there were performances that they did where jim would just go off the rails and they would stop and just let them just let them talk you know they would pick it up again eventually and i think you could probably fly, find film of that because i know that a lot of those concerts were filmed mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, in real life, they would they would actually stop for a minute and just let him do let him be Jim. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, all right, let's see here. Um, yeah, I mean, we go there, and then where do we go from here? We go right to the San Francisco concert um, in 1967, uh, where he's playing uh, just. Again, you know, but I mean, yeah, Jim was definitely one that we like, like we were saying to go off the rails. They show San Francisco 1967. It's not really a concert they're showing. They're just showing people all over the street, you know, dancing. We love the doors. Some real footage here. But uh, the part I want to play that kind of is really kind of weird, kind of cool. They start asking everyone in the band yeah, uh, you know they're going through trying to get to the plane, and they start asking everyone in the band, "Hey, what's your name? You know, what do you do?" And um, kind of a real funny part, just a yeah, I love this part, cool part, and I've got to play it. Occupation still sits. Uh, I'm the manager. I manage the doors. Names, occupation. Uh, Pamela Morrison, ornament. <laughs> Robbie Krieger, guitar player. John Densmore. Percussionist, 22 years old. <laughs> Name, occupation. Name, occupation. Raymond Daniel Manzarek, born 21239, musician, organist. Name, occupation. Uh, Jim. Jim. Yeah, they're perfect. All, <laughs> all, they're all naming, and he just goes, Jim. Jim. And that perfect. was all he needed to say. Yeah. That was it. That was all he needed to say. Uh, now, we go to... We jump right into 1967. Uh, they're about to go on the Ed Sullivan show. Ah, uh, probably my favorite part in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely a cool part. I do want to... It's actually a funny-ass part. I do want to actually get to right where they're meeting Ed Sullivan because it's one of the it is again one of the funniest parts in the fucking movie. Uh, <laughs> here I'll get to it in about uh, about ten seconds here nine so yeah but they it, the guy doing Ed Sullivan does a great fucking job by the way oh and hell yeah here it is boys meet Mr Sullivan my fellas fellas just just wait i heard your record i'd like that fire light your fire like that just like my fire great fine just really really fine just well, I have one little thing to bring up. It's a small thing, but it's important. The guys at Network have told us that they have a little problem with one of your lyrics, the lyric, girl, we couldn't get much higher. See, because you can't say higher on Network, so they asked if you could say instead, girl, we can't get much better. Can you dig that? How about, uh, girl, you couldn't bite my wire? <laughs> oh, I don't yeah. think standards and practices would... And you know, fellas, why don't you have a nice big smile on your face when you get out there? There's no point in being sullen. You know what I mean? Well, just, just do it. Kind of a sullen group, Ed. Yeah. You boys should know Mr. Sullivan is considering you boys. All right. I'm going <laughs> to... so fucked up. How about, girl, you can bite my wire? I love that part. Girl, I'm a... girl, you can bite... I would have let that one be like, you know what? Do that one. Do that one. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's see if that one flies. But uh, 
you know, and this is where obviously one more time you can tell it's the music isn't the music is what's important to Jim. And that's it. The words and the music. I hate to say this kind of reminds me a little of Eddie and the Cruisers, but words yeah. and music. Word man and Eddie. Yeah. Words and music, my friend. Words and music. And, and, and believe it or not, even though I kind of get what, where the network censors were coming from, even back then, you know, you can't say, girl, <laughs> I can take you higher because obviously it, it implies getting high. But, oh, well. it, but the, the wordplay was clever. It wasn't just outwardly saying it. No. It was still clever wordplay. Until he does what he does yeah, in yeah. a minute. But um, I want to get to the part where they're talking about what to do, and it kind of proves the point that Jim was more about uh, more about the words and the music than the money and everything else. Here it is. Well, oh, come on, John. It's just a word, Jim. Stones changed when they played here. Yeah. Why don't you change your name to uh, Sydney or, or Irving Manzarek? It's just a word. Oh, man. My words, I don't care. This is Jan. And now, direct from Los Angeles, California, ladies and gentlemen, here now, the door. You know that it would be untrue. Okay, sound wise. If I was to say to you, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Yeah. She said it. You can see his thing. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> that. I, I like how he looked into the camera when he said it. <laughs> that, that, that was the that was the big, biggest fuck you. <laughs> he looked right in the camera. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hi. Yeah. I mean, he just be, be belted that shit out, man. As as great as that is, as great as that is, um, a little little bit of research said that uh, it didn't exact it didn't exactly go down that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they kind of played that up a little bit for the movie. He actually did say the line that they asked him not to say. Right. That that actually happened in real life, but he says that it was an accident and he didn't didn't just put it out there all like that. And Sullivan was pissed. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So basically, so basically, there is probably there is footage that exists of him basically doing this in real life. Yes, there great. has to be. There has to be. Yeah, yeah. probably. And somebody needs to let that shit out. I, I would love to see it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's out there. Yeah. Um, he goes from there. Jim goes to a movie set, or I'm sorry, a photo shoot. This is the famous picture of Jim Morrison, no shirt on, bead necklace, from this photo shoot. Probably probably the most famous picture of him besides his mugshot t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, dude, did you, you look up Jim Morrison mugshot, the word t-shirt comes up after it every time. <clears throat> so this, though, is the probably the other most notable picture, but... You know, one of the things he's sitting there and he's like, you know, where's the doors? And, you know, she basically tells him nobody cares. The, 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 you know, nobody cares. They want you. 
So, you know, here we go, actually. Where are the doors? Right here. Right here. You forget the doors. You're the one they want. You are the doors. Come on. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, it's ugly. You are the doors. You're the one they want. So, and, you know, it... it, it it seems like a lot of the bands back then were kind of like that. I mean, you know, you watch um, the Buddy Holly story. Those guys thought Buddy Holly was getting all the fame and all the glamour, too. You know, it was it 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 seemed a lot of the older bands were. I'm not going to say jealous of their front man, but. Kind of had some issues with the front man. Well, that's why they're the front man, though. So you really can't get mad because they're the front man for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, and it's to be expected that, that you know eventually, you know, if if you if you get to a certain level of success, mm-hmm. the people that control, you know, call the shots and make the moves, are going to look at the front man and not fucking uh, Joe the drummer. Yeah, it happens. It happens a lot in music. It happens a lot in all genres. If you look at uh, look at Motown, mm-hmm. the Supremes were the Supremes before they were Diana Ross and the Supremes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, yes, he was always the lead vocalist, but there were there were no plans originally for her to yeah. be out in the forefront like that. Right. You know, yes. uh, the same with the Jacksons. You know, it was always. It was always the Jackson Five. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five, but he was he was being pushed out to the forefront. Oh yeah, you know? oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, remember Tupac, but nobody remembers a damn one of the outlaws. And if you do, I'll fucking dare you to name one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know who they are, but I mean, like the mainstream, they don't go anywhere. <laughs> I know who they are, but you know. All right. <laughs> We do go to the part that we were talking about a little earlier. This is the party where he does meet Andy Warhol. Um, you know, he also meets a model named Nico. She is hot. Hot, hot, hot. But, uh, you know, they do. He does end up going and meeting uh, Andy Warhol, played by Crispin Glover. Uh, I a, Another casting i don't think could have gone to anyone else that that part was perfect absolutely perfect um but after they do meet andy warhol warhol uh andy ends up giving jim morrison a phone that he talks to jesus on um they go all the people go by the way he's also met michael madsen here uh, not oh, here. I'm glad you brought him up. He's very underrated. Yeah, Michael Madsen's badass. Reservoir Dogs, many other movies. Actually, he was just in Blue Bloods a couple months ago too. Um, he plays Tom Baker, an old actor. Uh, one of the funniest lines when Jim meet, Jim looks at him and meets him, and he goes, "I know you. You got a great penis." Okay. <laughs> 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 I should have played that, but I didn't. But. Um, you know, before I get to the part I do want to play, which is a little interview they end up doing, uh, where he ends up meeting his uh, his side piece, I guess we could call her, <laughs> is uh, after the, they meet Andy, they're all fucked up. They're going through. Uh, they go back to a hotel. Jim uh, ends up in a elevator with this girl. His... Uh, his girlfriend, Pamela's looking for him, opens the elevator doors. There's Jim getting blown by this girl. 
and they both just evil laugh at her. Both of them, Jim and her, are just sitting there laughing at her. Uh, but yeah, just a crazy, 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 crazy scene. But um, you know, this obviously wouldn't be the the first time uh, Jim would be cheating on her, or she would be cheating on him. To be honest, but um, you know, this does right after this scene brings us to a little interview they were doing, and. In the interview, it sort of brings up some of the what I was talking about, where you know he always talks about how. Uh, well, here I'm. I'm just gonna play it. It'll make it a little easier. Here we go. Right after the laugh. <laughs> What are your songs about, Mr. Morrison? Uh, love, death, travel, revolt. Um, uh, we all write the songs. I'm interested in, uh, chaos, disorder. Especially activities which seem to have no meaning, like Mr. this. Morrison, On behalf of the British press. How do you feel about being called the ultimate Barbie doll? Well, I guess when you say something like that, it's a shortcut to thinking. <laughs> and do you think about the dreadful reviews your new poetry book has got? I guess I didn't understand. Is it true you financed its publication? Have you bothered to read the poetry, ma'am? I mean, you keep denying that nothing good can come out of L.A. I think that's a rather provincial attitude. Do you believe in drugs, Mr. Morrison? I believe in excess. What about alcohol? Is that considered part of a shaman's wisdom? It's the American way. You know, we spend more money every year on tobacco and alcohol than we do on education. Mr. Morrison, on behalf of the British press... Where do you see the door five years from now? It's just an excuse for free. Where do you guys spend all your money on? I believe in a long, prolonged derangement of the senses to attain the unknown. Oh, I live in the subconscious. Our pale reason hides the infinite from us. Are you by any chance in a trance now, Mr. Morrison? That brings up a little more of how his thinking goes. You know, yeah, kind of through the movie, kind of being like, you know, what is he thinking? What is this? There's a little bit of it right there. That's a little bit of what he's thinking. He's fucked up. <laughs> to, to say the least, he's fucked up. But... One of the reasons I wanted to play the, this part was because he's asked a minute in just a minute here about his parents, and he brings up a uh, a scene from the beginning, and we'll we'll get into that right now. Actually, do you hurt? What? What hurts you the most? What do your parents think about what you're doing? Actually, I don't remember being born. It must have happened during one of my blackouts. They must have expressed some feeling. Well, to tell you the truth, they're not living anymore, so I really don't like to talk about that. Could you at least tell us how they died? It was a horrible car crash in New Mexico in the 50s. Uh, my father ran right into a truckload of Navajos. They were 
all over the highway, bleeding. Your soul's kind of stirring in the breeze. Just leapt into mine. That's what I wanted to play that scene for. Now, he brings up the the beginning scene, or the the scene where they passed by the Indians that were the you know Native Americans, and um, they were all on the side of the road after the accident. Again, it was said that he loved to exaggerate that story, and honestly, that was a, this was a complete lie. His parents were alive at this time, and they were. Matter of fact, um, in a little while, he goes to San Francisco in 1968, and his his mother and his brother are there, and he won't go see him. Mm-hmm. He will not go see him. Um, but you know that was just another little you know part in the movie where he again brings up the um, you know that accident and embellishes it a little more. Um, he does, one of the, the person that asked him that last question was his, uh, like I said, side piece, Patricia, yeah. uh, Patricia Keneally, 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 whatever. Keneally, I think, Keneally. There you go, Keneally's good. Um, she's a freaky little chick that he ends up, uh, doing a lot of crazy stuff with. She gets him into drinking blood, and she's, like, very vampire-ish. Um, just really weird, but you know, he's banging her running around the room like a crazy man. Um, then he goes back to Meg Ryan, does some crazy stuff in her room, literally hangs himself out of a window asking her, will you die for me? Will you die for me? Um, again, just fucked up drinking. This man drank. He didn't drink a glass. He drank from the bottle. Yeah, he. there's no scenes where he's just sitting there with a glass. He is drinking from the fucking bottle. Uh, now we go into another, you know, they're at a concert. Um, Jim is back there with uh, Patricia. And a cop interrupts him. He asks, you know, what are you guys doing? They actually weren't doing anything. Probably the one time he can tell the truth, and he does. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they go through, the cop starts bothering him, and eventually the cop pushes him, he pushes back, the cop ends up macing him, not realizing, obviously, who he is, um, but, uh, you know, he starts doing the concert, and you can sort of see him getting a little more angry and a little more angry, and, uh... We can go ahead and actually give me a couple seconds here. I'll get to right where I'm supposed to be. And uh, we'll actually let you know exactly what he does here. Here, give me a... uh... Whoa, loud.
this girl backstage. I wanted some privacy, so we went into this shower store. No, we weren't doing anything. We were just talking. And all of a sudden, this, uh, this little man came in with a little blue hat, a little blue suit. He said, what you doing in there? He said, nothing. He said, uh, well, you better get out of there or, uh, or what? And he started pushing me. Yeah, so I started pushing back. And he went back. And he reached behind and he pulled out a little and he sprayed it right in my eyes. He fucking blinded me. Why? Well, because I was alone in the room with a girl doing what he'd like to be doing if he could only get it up without a gun. They do end up shutting that show down. Uh, Jim Morrison does end up getting arrested here, <clears throat> actually. Um, the band, you can look at the band and see they're like, oh, this is one more off the rail. This is not a good one either. Um, but yeah, you can just look in their eyes where they're like, oh, shit, this is going to go bad. Um, but yeah, again, you know, he's... Now, we forgot to mention... The beginning of this movie when I played that, you know, is everybody in, is everybody in? He's sort of doing a spoken word in a studio by himself. Big, fat, bearded, long-haired Jim Morrison. And, uh, you know, does glimpse back to that part every now and then. But uh, we get to the part now where we finally see Billy fucking Idol. <laughs> Billy Idol. Now, before I get into Billy Idol in this movie, Bill, Billy Idol was supposed to play Michael Madsen's part of Tom Baker. He ended up getting the smaller role of Dog because he was in a motorcycle accident. He was really not cleared by doctors to go, but really wanted to do this movie. If you watch this movie, he's either sitting, lying down, or on crutches throughout. He's yeah. And there's a reason. He was fucked up badly in a motorcycle accident and just really wanted to do the scene in this movie. So we do end up with uh, seeing Billy Idol right here playing a smaller part than he was supposed to. He was supposed to play Michael Madsen's role as you know, Tom Baker, but due to the accident, had to uh, cut his part short. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and play a little bit of this. Fuck it. A little bit of play idle. Say, right about now. Hey, morning. Pour me my breakfast, Dolores. Yeah, what's the matter with Jimbo? Can't handle it, eh? 
He's pussy with, man. Hey, Jim, eat this, man. We got one last place to go. Ray's getting married this morning, remember? Live, she cried. Ugh, can't eat that, I'll make you sick. Give me a uh, Dos Equis, will you, Dolores? And uh, Ramos Fizz. And what happened to you last night? You bet me a grand you're gonna walk on the ledge of the 9,000 building after the gig. Let's go right now. Complaining about going home to a sanctuary. We're gonna make a fucking movie. <laughs> you bet me a thousand bucks, man. Give him a double. A triple. Imagine me and Morrison in a movie together. Yeah. Two powerful, two Irish, two fisted fucking drinking guys in the same movie together. Yeah, man, I'll direct the shit out of it. Dennis Hopper can do it. Talking to it. <laughs> well, I'll pre-direct it. A real road movie, though, in black and white. We'll call it Zero. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? The, the guy beside him realizes Jim Morrison is pissing on him. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, oh, fuck, man. What a great part in this movie. Um, but we actually have not got to the best line of the movie yet. Um, after that little binge... Pamela tries to convince Jim to sober up a little bit and quit drinking, which he does quit drinking, yet he does take some acid, but they're kind of walking back to their house. They're about to have a big Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and this, it turns into a crazy scene because she doesn't know he's on the acid, but he ends up giving it to her. Uh, And actually, he says some really, really... He says some sweet words to her, and then he, you know, gives her the acid, and she's like, well, all right. So she takes it. This party is a disaster. Absolute disaster. Jim brings out the duck. It's, my God, what's blacker than black? (laughs) Whatever it is, that's what this duck that they're supposed to be eating is. Um, Yeah, I got nothing for that one. That was just strange. Yeah, it is. Uh, his wife is sitting there just tripping balls, balls. She's tripping and, uh, just, you know, she starts going, she's reading over these papers and she's telling him, I'm going to organize this and I'm going to take all the cuss words out, all the cuss words. Okay. And he's just like, Whoa, calm down, calm down. But, um, you know, more guests start showing up. And Patricia shows up. Ah, ah. His uh, yeah. His uh, his side piece is uh, I'm sorry, his uh, blood side piece. Yes, yes, his blood side piece. And um, you know what? That the best line of the movie is about to come up. Here we go. My girl, let's go. I'm not your girl. <laughs> I'm not your girl. I know you fuck everything that touches you. Don't give me that shit. Come on, come on. Hey, I love my girl. Hey, listen, listen, everybody. Now, Pam and I, she's looking good. And and to celebrate... Patricia? Hi, Jim. Hey. Um, Pam, do you... Have you met... Do you know... Have you... She wrote this great... Okay, just real quick. This is one of the most dangerous situations you could get yourself into. Yes. This is this is your 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 main girl and your side girl. 
in one room. Worlds colliding. Oh, this is bad. It's never a good sign for anybody involved. This is bad. But again, this is where one of the best lines of this movie are in just a few seconds. Review of my poetry book. Jim, why don't we go eat that turkey, huh? Come on, Pam, let's go set those plates. Patricia Keneally, are you Patricia Keneally? You must be Pamela. You actually put your dick in this woman, Jim? Uh, well, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> the, the best line and the best comeback. You actually put your dick in this woman, Jim? Well, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's a valuable lesson this movie taught us. What? If you take the right drugs... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> With the right woman, the sex can be amazing. Well, this scene gets even crazier. I'm not going to play much more of it, but this scene gets even crazier. She starts going off on him, pulls a knife on him. He ends up sitting there basically telling her, go ahead, kill me. Kill me. Go ahead, kill me. Um, and they end up, you know, crying and holding each other. Pretty much. In the yeah, movie. It, it was like a it was like a weird makeup session. <clears throat> yeah, definitely was. Um, now we jump over to where, like I said, Jim does the nineteen sixty eight San Francisco concert. He's told that his brother and his mother are there, and he just says, "I do not want to see them. I do not want to see them." So. You know, they're at, well, what should I do with them? What should I do with them? He's just, he just walks on stage. Does not give a shit at all what happens. But, um, you know, he, uh, from this concert, you know, obviously he's having some issues. He goes back to his house, and what does he find but his girl with another guy? And, uh, here. It's so lonely. I miss my girl. Oh, hi. I didn't realize you were entertaining. Hello, Jimmy. I uh, hope you're cool about this. Don't forget your smack on the way out. Don't forget your smack on the way out. I just want to play that line. That's another great line in the movie. Uh, she's sitting there getting, you know, on heroin. Another... While the music is playing, you know, in the background, another argument is ensuing, and they are arguing. He throws her in a closet, sets the closet on fire. Now, we said we bring up some of the Native American tones in this movie. Here's another one right here. He's seeing it. Now, where this, he's seeing the Native Americans while he's at the concert. Now, what's a little different about this scene is while Jim is dancing around on stage, Ray gives a look like he sees it. Ah. If you look at Ray, he gives him a look like he sees exactly what Jim is seeing. And, uh, you know, just a little bit weird. Weird, uh, kind of a... You can just see where Ray is like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? But... Uh, you know, like I said, he sets the, the he basically sets the room on fire and leaves. Yeah. Um, 
he's dancing around on stage. Like I said, Ray sees that. And, you know, the, 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 the Native Americans dancing with him, and he's a little freaked out. The next scene we go to, you know, while he's doing the stage, he's doing his little blood ritual with Patricia. She's a creepy chick, dude. Fucking <laughs> 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 like vampire is what she is. Um, but yeah, he's jamming out here and, um, you know, and again, just dancing on stage with the, with what we see as Native Americans. But like I said, though, Ray finally sees it for the, I you think for the first time, uh, Ray sees it now, but, um, you know, we go from there and, uh, they start playing in the studio. Here, I'm going to go ahead and play this. Fuck it. I need a drink. Come on, come on, come on, come on now. Touch me, babe. Can't you see that I am not afraid? What was that promise that you made? Why won't you tell me what she said? What was that promise that fucking you made? Fucking prima donna's too drunk to fucking see. I'm gonna love you till the heavens stop the rain. I'm gonna love you till the stars fall from the sky. You and I. Obviously, in this scene, you can tell he is drunk up his ass. Damn near too drunk to sing. Not just too drunk to sing, though, but he's got a lot of shit going on in his life. Um, but, uh, you know, they do cut it. And another great line in the movie. I'm going to go ahead and play it. Uh, terrific day, Jim. We just uh, had a bit of a technical problem in here. So What's this fucking really problem, man? Hey, uh, Paul, babe. Yeah, right here, babe. <laughs> Why don't you suck a fart out of my asshole, you slave-driving fascist motherfucker? There you go. Suck a fart <laughs> out of my asshole, you slave-driving fascist motherfucker. I like that line. I do. I don't know why, but I do. Um, now, there's something I want to bring up in this scene. A little bit after this, they go through their little, their little fight. They're throwing shit around. Um, while they're arguing about the fact that Jim can't sing. They're watching the television <clears throat> and something pops on the TV. It's a jingle. And the jingle yeah. sounds really familiar to Jim. Uh, it should. It's Light My Fire. Once again, though, this brings up... Here, I'll go ahead and... I'm going to go ahead and do it. Why are you fucking this up? Catchy tune. Sold it to a commercial. How much? Seventy-five thousand. Look, man, we couldn't reach you. We figured, you know. He's a shit, It's not a big deal, man. The song has already been commercialized. Feliciano's already sold two million copies. Robbie thought it was a good idea. So did John. So did I. Robbie? Robbie? Where were you? You should have been here. 
Do you know what you're saying to millions of people? The door is all for one, one for all. Not real. It's not about money, you know, or records, or success, or these desires that you have, you know? It's about using the music to break through, wasn't it, Ray? No. See, this is another part right here once again showing that he cared. It was the words and the music that he cared about. It really was. Um, you know, and, and that was part of it. Now, he ends up throwing a TV here. That's actually real. He actually did do this in the studio. He got that mad that he actually did throw the TV and break it. Uh, according to, you know, the band members that were, you know, had something to do with this movie. Uh, he That that really did happen. Uh, but Pamela ends up walking in, apologizing. Now, I'm going to bring this up. He's in there singing the song. Singing the song. Uh, recording an album here. I'm going to go ahead. And, and while he's recording... This number successful hills are here to stay everything must be this way he sounds better doesn't he <laughs> you know why he's getting blown that's why jim morrison was notorious big before notorious big god damn it <laughs> 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 wow. Wow. This man was the pimp of all pimps. He's sitting there recording an album. This song when he when when we hear it just realize he's being blown while we're fucking hearing it recorded. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, just 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 know that. Just know that. Uh but yeah, I mean, he's just you know, sitting there Not singing. all heroes wear case box. Hey man, you know, I agree. I do. I agree with you. Uh, we're actually only about 30 minutes left in this movie. Now, right after that scene, you get a quick glimpse, and it just flashes to it of the end of the movie where Morrison is lying in the bathtub. Really quick, they flash past it, and then they go right to the next scene. Where... I'm sorry. I actually did not mean to have audio on at that point. Sorry about that. Uh, and, you know, they, they flash off to the next scene, which they're on an airplane uh, flying out. This is the part where Jim starts talking about nothing wrong with being a large mammal. Now, this is where he's getting really, you know, a little fatter. And, uh, again, Val Kilner had to actually gain this weight at the right time to film these scenes. So, you know, another kudos to him on the on on the playing of this scene, of this role. Just amazing by him. Uh but you know, the, the, this is a weird conversation they're having on the plane. You know, I don't know if it's worth playing. It's an odd conversation, but a lot of the conversations in this movie are pretty odd. So, but they do go uh they're on their way to a concert. They're 2 hours late for the concert. But they do end up at the concert, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a bunch of shit going on. 
Morrison ends up, you know, he's picking up a joint and doing stuff on stage. They're telling him we're going to shut this shit down, all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, people are jumping on stage with him. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy fucking scene. But uh, once again, Jim Morrison starts going the fuck off the goddamn rails. Uh, pretty bad this time. And again, he is seeing the Native Americans as he's going off the fucking rails. Uh, you know, it's almost like the Native Americans were his Grim Reaper. If you watch the movie, they were sort of the Grim Reaper to him. Uh, teasing him, I guess you could say, if you want to get a little deep with what it was. That's what I believe it was. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that 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 that's kind of what it is. I'm gonna play this part really quick where he goes off the rails here. You're all a bunch of fucking slaves. Once again, right before I get to this, this is the, the remember where I said there was a part where uh, he, he where the band was all taking drugs. Frank Watley playing Robbie in this part was uh, he pulls him to the side and he gives him a hit of acid. He's saying he doesn't want it, but it's obviously really good shit because if you watch this scene, Robbie's holding his head. He's not playing guitar in some scenes. But he's so high, he doesn't really realize how off the rails Jim is and tries <laughs> to bring him back by doing this. You need to visualize this scene. Robbie has got his eyes closed. He's just like, oh, I felt that was where I needed to play. He tries <laughs> to bring Jim back, and he does a little bit. He actually does a little bit. <clears throat> you know, to he, he does bring him back to a little bit of reality. And, uh, you know, they start doing this. Um, but, you know, Jim is just changing up the song, making it a little bit crazy. He... uh Again, I think he stops it. He stops it one more time here.
there's really it's all a bunch of yelling and screaming from here. Um, John Din Densmore walks up to Robbie and tells him something. They don't really let you know what he's saying, but you can sort of guess it's something like I'm sick of this shit. I'm going the fuck back to the hotel. Uh, or I'm getting out of here before the fucking fit hits the shan. One of the two. And I'm sure he didn't use those words, by the way. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, that, that that's pretty much. But, uh, you know, he ends up, you know, Jim on stage still singing and, you know, chicks are running up there naked. He ends up down there again. He ends up uh, jumping off the stage. Now, real quick note. When they're trying to grab him after Jim ends up exposing himself here, when his crew is trying to grab grab him and he falls back into the audience, two stuntmen were supposed to catch him. Well, they didn't. Mm. They didn't. He fucked up his elbow. As a matter of fact, there's a scene in the movie Heat where he's sitting there, and if you look at his elbow, you can see a giant bump, like a giant fucking knot on it, still from this movie. Oh, wow. So, you know, his injuries tie into yet another movie, uh, which is pretty funny. <laughs> But I'm actually right there now. They're about to push him off the fucking stage. So um, we're we're actually almost done with this. Um, now he does. After he does that, he falls off the stage. He just keeps the mic and starts, you know, going on with break on through. Uh, basically, you know, they got him going around in like the circle and a campfire, and there's all kinds of people dancing around him. Uh, and of course, Native Americans that he's seeing, no one else is seeing, dancing around him. Uh, you know, a, a, just a, a a real big part in the movie, obviously, is the Native American tones, you know, that he sees. And the fact that that little accident that he saw affected him for life. You yeah. know, it, it, it really makes you think a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've smoked some of a joint, but I'm going to tell you, it makes you think, what if he never saw that accident? What if that never happened he never saw that accident would we still have got the same jim morrison i don't know i think maybe not i think he might have just had a regular life as just a regular guy with a regular job none of us would have ever known him so that incident that may or may not have happened could have really been like the hmm, how do i say this the the ripple in the water that kept going and made Jim Morrison what he was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not quite sure how to put that, but or, well, oh, that was very the, well uh, said. Actually the, the, the rock thrown in the water to make the ripples. That's what I should say. Hmm. Yeah. That, 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 what do you think, Anthony? You think we still might've gotten him or you think if he never saw that accident, we might not have gotten, gotten the deep poetic Jim Morrison. We did. Anthony's not there, I guess. All right. Yeah, I think. <laughs> That's fine. Where? Oh, Adam. there he is. Did, did you hear that question or no? Yeah. No, you, you, we broke up a little bit, but oh. I'm back. Can you repeat oh, right. it? 
right. Sorry. Yeah. Do you think we would have got the same Morrison had he never seen that little accident when he was four years old? Honestly, probably not. Okay. All right. You know what? I'm not sure either. I don't think we would have. I think that accident. Yeah, I mean, the talent was still there, but I, that probably um, enhanced his thought process on how he looked at the world. Yeah, how he looked at the world. Uh, that's a good way to put it because he really did. I mean, it, it, it shows in the movie not only, but it shows, you know, I'm in reading Wiki that that, that one moment just took over his life. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is like a, I, this is like a, I guess not similar, but a different kind of t- type of question. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what changed. That's kind of like what altered his life, right? Right. Ask yourself this question though: like, if there was no Hardy uh, <laughs> Hard, if there was no Bill Cosby, maybe a lot safer women, but would there be a Richard Pryor? Because remember, like before Richard Pryor became Richard Pryor, mm-hmm. he quote unquote was Kyle. He was like a trying to do Cosby shtick. See, and and basically it took somebody saying, hey, that's not really your deal. And he went in the opposite direction. You know what the funny thing is? You have to take that even further. You have to say, if there was no Richard Pryor, would we have an Eddie Murphy? Eddie Murphy, and it continues on down the line. Yes, sir, it does. Yes, sir. Absolutely. That could be, that's, literally, this is a Pandora's box of a question. Yeah, you, you know, need you need certain you need certain things to happen in order for future things to happen. Yeah, yeah. all it takes is a moment. All I mean, it takes is one moment. Yeah, I mean, I know we're getting a little pot talky here, but Jesus, <laughs> what fucking movie we're watching? If I'm not smoking a joint, I'm not doing this fucking movie right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, but yeah, I mean that that. That's a great question. If we never had a Bill Cosby, would we had a Pryor? If we never had a Pryor, would we had an Eddie? And from yeah. Eddie Murphy on down the line, Bobby's right. It just it, it it keeps going from there. But I mean, you know, you could say that for a bunch of other different you know things too. I mean, luckily people, you know, are who they are, and they inspire other people. So you yeah. Know, but uh, you know, yeah, obviously it kind of gives you that little. You know, yeah. kind of brings up what me and Shaheed were talking about—that little energy thing last oh, week. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, a certain energy can definitely push people to go one way or another, do one thing or another, see one thing or another, and inspire other people to keep coming along. That's that's fucking crazy, man. Yeah, that the whole butterfly effect, whether it's people yeah. or just certain instances of things that happen, like you know, um. Uh, with two, you know, you know, we brought his name up enough, but you know, Tupac, what would have like, what would have happened if he hadn't got into that altercation with the cops over jaywalking? Because mm-hmm. like a lot, a lot of things like that, like what if he never happened? You know, we might still be listening to him in real time, a lot of real music. Because like I said, like that kind of altered like his thought process on a lot of things. The altercation with the cops, the rape charge. You know, when he was locked up in jail and he thought everybody turned his back on him, and that's why he came out angry. And he shit on everybody for a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's 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 just you don't know if if A did or didn't happen would B have or have not happened. You know, it's one of those things. I mean, you know, you you could go right. I mean, what if Elvis never took that shit? 
<laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I know it's a funny way to say it, but I know what, what you mean, though. What yeah. if he just got up and decided I'm going to skip the shit? Got right in the shower. You never know. Might have still had, you know, much more. What if, uh, what if Biggie didn't leave the fucking club that night? What if it didn't get shut down? You know what I mean? What if? Yeah. What if? There's, there's, there's so but many you know what? what ifs. Ahead, but you know what though? These are all everything that we're naming here. These are all these are all moments within the lives of of uh, these people that right. that are that were already in full swing. We're talking about the origin of Jim Morrison. That 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 right. accident, that one moment was really the birth of what he became. From what we're reading and seeing, yeah, it really did. It sparked. It it, it was the spark. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It was a spark that lit the flame that ignited, you know, the passionate, you know, or the controversy, the access that made him who he was. It was yeah. the spark that lit his fire. Huh? There you go. Yeah. You, you, you did it. You did it. You Come got on, that. <laughs> baby, light my fuck. Oh, yeah, no, you did not. No, it was good, Box. I don't know. Touche. Oh, I appreciate you one. guys. I appreciate y'all appeasing me on that. That was horrible. That was fucking horrible. <laughs> uh, man, everybody gets one. <laughs> I know when they're bad. I throw them up because they're bad. <laughs> oh, but 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 it, it, it's funny because it's almost like though, as much as you know. We can sit here and play the butterfly effect game because it's actually fun. Good or bad, things happen the way they're meant to happen. Like things as sad, as fucked up as they are, that they were meant to happen that way. They were meant to play out that way. Yeah. If they played out any differently, it, you know, it would just alter history and yeah. what it probably. What oh, it you know what? Alter. You know what? I'll do you another one. I'll do you another one mm-hmm. since you mentioned that. Um, and it, it goes back to hip hop. Boogie Down Production, KRS One. Mm-hmm. The first album that Boogie Down Production did was Criminal Minded. KRS One and his DJ Scott LaRock. Oh yeah, yeah, I know you're going. You know, yeah, he was. He was. They were. They were posing on the uh, album cover with with guns, and you know, a lot of the songs were talking about drugs and you know, committing crimes. And I mean, he didn't go as deep into it as other rappers would eventually do, but still, that was what he was talking about. Um, and then after that very first album, Scott LaRock was killed. He was shot and killed in the street. Mm-hmm. And that completely changed the life and the whole outlook of KRS-One. After that, he became the teacher. Uh, he started to speak out against violence, mm-hmm. stop the violence. You know, Who knows what would have happened? What would KRS-One be if uh, Scott LaRock had never been killed? Would yeah. he have gone the straight-up, complete gangster route? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, 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 I mean, you know, I, I, I know you're talking hip hop. This may be a completely bad thing, but, uh, you kind of made me think of, uh, Kid Rock and Mm -hmm. the, uh, I can't think of the guy's name that was with him. The, 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 the little dude. Josie. Oh, thank you. Chris Rock really put out one song after he passed away. Uh, Kid Rock, Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. Kid Rock only put out really one great song after he went away, and it was the tribute song to him. Mm. He, another one that might have, I mean, look, Kid Rock gets made fun of a lot, but 
I like his music. Again, it's the music. It's 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 the beat. I like it. I got no issues with it. It's a little limp biscuity, but I even like uh, limp biscuit before well, they got know, they played from, out. They are they are all from Detroit. You know, same area. They well, kind of came up in the same circles. Well, Durst is from Florida. Yeah, but yeah, he's a Florida. Yeah. He's a Jacksonville boy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Durst is a Jacksonville. Hey, Jacksonville is one of the scummy parts of Florida. I ain't saying it's a nice part. <laughs> He ain't from Boca, you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> Not from Boca Raton or Fort Lauderdale. It's Jacksonville, the stinky part of Florida. But you know what the funny thing is, though? We talk about these people because everything got put in motion the way it did. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's the reason we're asking these questions. The reason we're talking about these people is because of the tragedies, because of this, because of that, because of the... You know, un- unfortunately, because of the shit that happened in their life, it's it 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 is the reason that we still talk about them and you know have questions about it and shit like that. I mean, but yeah. complex. They you know they're complex individuals. It's like that's what makes people who they are. The complexities, mm-hmm. like and, and especially the more you the deeper you dig into it. Yeah, the deeper you dig into like you know the history and, and you and if you're fair and you're balanced you understand that certain things happened along the way that made them who they were. Mm-hmm. This car accident, I mean, like I said, if you're a four or five-year-old kid and you see somebody, you come up on an accident like that, that's going to affect you. Mm-hmm. It should. You know what I mean? It it, if you're if you're fucking Tupac Shakur and, you, and you're raised by women, you're surrounded by women, you don't have any father figures in your life, but you're raised by women, right? Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you're coming out with positive songs, you know, about, you know, Brenda's got a baby, I... You know, you know, keep your head up. You're always coming. You're supporting women, yeah. and then to have, then to turn around and have one of your sisters, when somebody that you always spoke fondly of, accuse you of rape. Because yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not a coincidence. And you know, and I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but it kind of I'm leading to a point. It, it's not a coincidence that we go from two apocalypse now, where he's very political and he's civic minded, and by the time he got out of jail, first album out of jail is all eyes on me. I mean, it, it, there ain't one positive. I mean, I, I, that's a classic album. I love it. I play it to this day. But mm-hmm. there, it, there really isn't a whole lot of positivity. It's a right. lot of anger on that album. Yeah. From it, the, the, if you look at the, his first commercial album to his last commercial album while he was still alive, you see the difference. Oh yeah. You see the difference. Yeah. And, 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 and once again, if you know the history of it, you understand why. He didn't. He didn't just. He didn't just make that song. Make that album for the hell out of it. Right. That that was just his mindset at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shaped by his experiences. Yeah, yeah. And you know, d- talking mindset, I'm going to kind of v- roll back into the movie here. Um, you know, obviously at this time, Jim Morrison's mindset, he's a little, he's a little fucked up more than he was. A little. Um, <laughs> problems rolling in and rolling in. I haven't even got to the problems after he gets uh, arrested, um, you know, and right before he gets arrested at the show, he's uh, he gets into a car accident with all the guys, uh, you know, Tom Baker and all of them. He hits a cop, runs smack into a cop, <laughs> drunk as fuck. Um, now, he does go to court for this little Miami indecent exposure thing and uh, yeah, gets a little bit of trouble, but... Patricia is there 
and proceeds to tell him that she's pregnant. Um, now, I want to get into this a little bit. Uh, Patricia said she was pregnant. Now, there's no DNA proof out there that Jim Morrison has an actual child. Yeah. Okay. There is a guy who's come out not very recently, but sort of recently, named Cliff Morrison, who claims his dad is Jim Morrison. Uh, he actually has a song, uh, I mean, Lizard Sun. I believe the name of the band is Cliff Morrison and the Lizard Sun Band. Uh, but he's never, you know, done the DNA thing and proven he's Jim Morrison's kid. So there's a lot of questions over whether Patricia was lying to try to get Jim or if she had an abortion. She's never said, and there's really no final word. And, and, and really, just you know, you have to look at the time. You know, look at the time frame. How can you really prove that? Mm-hmm. I mean, DNA. Like I said, the, the whole DNA test that really didn't become. Right. Like the like late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. There, people got murdered back in the fifties and sixties. Unsolved mysteries forever in the day because there's no way there was no way to preserve evidence back then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he, not only though is you know she tells him that that's one bad thing. But more bad things just keep piling fucking up on this poor guy. Matter he starts heading towards where, you know, all his crew is and just here, he starts getting all this news. Here you go. Cancellations and everything. Everywhere, Jim. Jacksonville, Dallas, even Kent State University canceled, man. The press, for the first time, they really turned against us. Pam was called six times. Catherine, Patricia, Judy, Gail's pregnant, she says. You gotta go to the dentist. Look, Jim. Go home, get some sleep, get back to your words, okay? And wash your hair. Take a bath, Jesus. Jim, this guy really despises me. He won't even invite to Woodstock. 20 other bands. Uh, Hendrix, not Janice. Radio stations. Only in our playlists. It's a big city. Philly, Cincy, Chicago, Detroit. We can drag this appeal out for years, Jim. We can keep you out of jail. The FBI's behind it, Jim. They had memos on you in Phoenix. They actually tried to get to Miami a little. New image. We can go back slow, quiet, the beard, the elder of the tribe. We want the world and we want it! Alright, he's freaking the fuck out a little bit here. I mean, downward spiral is what he's on right now. Just everything going wrong. Um... They actually find him in the next scene outside, sitting on the ledge, drinking, screaming, yelling. Of course, we mentioned before that uh, Pamela was sort of his rock, and um, she does end up getting him back in. Now, again, the camera crews were there filming this. This is something else that could be on film. I don't know if it is or isn't, but in the movie, there's camera crews filming it. You know, and in plain sight, it's not like, a, oh, look, there's a boom mic. You know, but he's literally on the, I mean, he's walking on the ledge. He's basically dancing, and she finally pulls him in. Uh, you know, just another, obviously a, a, a kind of a thing he touched on throughout the movie is he does kind of want to die. You know what I mean? 
But, uh, you know, they show him at a birthday party in a little while here. And uh, he's kind of saying goodbye to the Doors because he thinks the career is their their whole thing is over. It's just done. They've 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 ran their course. Uh, gives them all gifts. The gift he gives them all is the uh, the American Prayer Book. Uh, yeah, I guess while we're on this, you know, I guess mm-hmm. we, I don't. Who knows when this ever ever come up again on the show? But are you guys familiar with the Twenty Seven Club? Oh yeah, yeah. U box. No, go ahead. Basically, it's a list of uh, popular musicians, artists, actors that died at the age of 27. Mm-hmm. Basically, it, between, like, I want to say 1969, 71, 72. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, like Jim Morrison. Yeah, yeah. Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix. Uh, yeah. Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin, yeah. yeah. And for a more modern-day example, you got uh, Amy Winehouse. Mm. Wow. All, all dead at 27. Wow, man. Guess if you're a rock star, you make it past 27. Fucking count your blessings. Right, that's an accomplishment. It's basically like kind of, it's kind, it's kind of like become like a myth type of thing. Kind of like uh, I guess like the curse of the poltergeist, some shit like that. Right. What do you what do you think about the or like you know they use a wrestling reference like the you know the Vinerics were cursed that type of thing. Did, did what do you think about that whole thing? Like, do you think it's a coincidence or it was just like the times these people lived in? Uh, I personally think it's a coincidence if you look at the list of all of the people, <laughs> all of the people who died at 27, look how they lived, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a crazy coincidence that that just happened to be the number, but they were all on heavy, heavy drugs, man, and they yeah. lived such a fast life. Yeah, B-Megs is bringing up a couple, uh, Hank Williams Sr., mm. Brad Knoll of Sublime. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brian Jones, yeah. He's bringing up a few good ones. I forgot Hank Williams was that young when he died. Well, he used to wait. Hey, Hank, he was only 27? Hank it's Williams. crazy to think that, isn't it? Hank Williams <laughs> Sr., man, he was a, he was a party guy. Dude. He's his, I'm surprised Hank Williams Jr. is still alive. <laughs> he's a party guy and a half, man. But, uh, yeah, I'm surprised he's still alive. But, um... Yeah, man, twenty seven's obviously is a rough fucking age. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, not, 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 I'm not even trying to be funny, but you know, it it kind of makes you wonder, like, how so many people survived as long as they did. Like, you look at a guy like Robin Williams, like who clear. I mean, I, I miss that guy every day, man. But clearly, clearly, he did a lot of drugs in his prime. Oh yeah, clearly. So, yeah. so it kind of makes you, it kind of makes you wonder, like. How did he? How did he hang on for so long, dude? Look at Keith Richards. Look at, look at fucking Steven Tyler. Look at oh, fuck yeah. that. Look at fuck that. Look at the Rolling Stones. Look at Aerosmith. Both the whole yeah. band. Yeah, they're still alive. Look at ACDC. Still alive. Those guys <laughs> did more fucking drugs than you can imagine. Vince Neil of Motley, dude. That guy's been doing drugs and banging chicks since the eighties. Mm-hmm. All those glam metal guys, dude. That's what they were. That was when rock was still fucking cocaine and fucking uh, yeah. big hair and yeah. banging anything. It. I mean, you look at somebody like all of the drug. You think about it. I, when Richard Pryor died from MS and not a drug overdose in the eighties, that that probably threw a lot of people for a loop. Jesus, BMX is bringing up everyone. Fucking Mercury, Freddie Mercury, Bob Marley, Sid Vicious. Mm. Jesus. All right, stop now, BMX. <laughs> you're depressing me, Freddie Mercury. Another was, show. <laughs> you're depressing yeah. me, dude. I can't believe. 
I didn't realize Marley was only 27, too. Yeah. Man. Man. Anyway, let's fucking finish this movie. We got like it's five like minutes. Left. Was Kurt Cobain uh, 27? No, I think he was. I think he was younger. <sighs> Hold on. He was in his 20s. I know he didn't. I know he didn't make 30. I think he was younger than 27. Elvis Presley, no, no, Elvis, oh, no. Elvis, Elvis was up was there, fifty something when he died, I think. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> which, is, which is not, which is not old, but you know. Yeah, let me give me two seconds here. Let me look up this Kurt Cobain thing. Uh, let's see. He was born in nineteen sixty-seven, so he was twenty-seven. Son of a bitch! Wow! I knew, I knew, I knew it. Although yeah, it's it might creepy. Wait a minute, February. Yep, April fifteenth. It was after his birthday. He was twenty fucking seven years old. Holy I'm shit! Die. I'm so fucked. Coincidence, my ass. <laughs> Jesus! Like the, like shit, the more you think about it. The fuck is about 27? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Elvis, I thought Elvis was like 33 when he died. 32. No. Give me a second here. Give me a second here. How old was that fat son of a bitch when he died? <laughs> Look, I love the guy. Don't, 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 don't get me wrong here. But uh, <laughs> let's see. He was born in 1934. So he was. Hold on here. We go. What do we do here? We do 1977. He was born in 1935. So he was 42 when he died. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, he was 42. And yeah, see, I actually pulled up a list here. Who else? You guys might know. Let me see. Oh, don't do the list. <laughs> I'm gonna get so depressed, dude. I'm already depressed. This fucking Freddie Mercury thing just killed me. I forgot he was so young. Do you know how much more Freddie Mercury I would love to hear? Yeah. You have any clue? A lot of them on that list, man. Oh, A yeah. lot of them. Yeah, even Sid. Sid Vicious, man. I would. He had some great fucking. Oh music. shit! I know you guys know this guy, uh, Ron Pigpen McCurman. Mm-hmm. I remember him. Yep. I remember him. Um, God damn, I remember his name. Let me see here. Wallace Johan. Wallace Wally Johan. I don't know who he is. Let me see here. Chris Bell. Cecilia. D. Boone. Kurt Cobain, we got him. Oh. Pigpen was one of the uh, Grateful Dead founders. Damn it! Yeah. Mm. Oh fuck yeah! I know. I know Bobby. I know this guy. Stretch. Jesus. Oh yeah, live squad. Yeah. All right. Well, Anthony's depressing us. I'm gonna try to finish this movie. We got like five minutes left. <laughs> the ending. The ending <laughs> depresses. So, might as well end on a depressing. No. <laughs> no, we can cheer the no, shit. No, don't worry. Up. We're not. I'm only joking, folks. We're not gonna end on a depressing no, note. No, 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 absolutely not. Uh, he's at a little a, a kid's birthday party. Uh, Jim is at a kid's birthday party again. He was saying goodbye to the band. He's got the Indian hat on, and uh, you know he, he he's uh, drinking from the bottle as usual. 
and uh, looks over and sees a kid walking through the crowd. The kid is him as a young kid, the kid we saw in the beginning. And he sits on the lap of an older gentleman. The older gentleman that he's looking at is the guy that we saw in the beginning, also lying there bleeding on the ground. Uh, His face is painted, but it's him. Uh, You know, so that's just another one of the little references of the Native American things. But uh, the last clip I'm going to play is uh, when they, you know, Ray walks up and says, hey, you got a plane to catch. And um, here we go. Ah. I'm going to back up just a little bit here. Oh, by the way, he passes out, then Ray wakes him up. Jim, got a plane to catch, man? Yeah. We're reaching for death on the end of a candle. We're trying for something that's already found us. Last words. Ah. Did you get all that? Yeah. I got it, Jim. Now, real quick... The engineer sitting here oh, yeah. is the actual drummer, John Densmore. Yes. I did want to bring that up. That is the actual drummer sitting there with him in the uh, last scene here. Um, and again, he is also staring at the Native American, which again tends to be sort of his Grim Reaper in this movie. I'm going to go ahead and finish up this last little scene. Come on, let's get some tacos. He looks at us with a glare. We go to Paris, 1971. Uh, Pamela walks to the bathroom, and uh, Jim is lying there, comfortably dead. She basically, she thinks he's joking and then realizes it and um, just sits there. That's pretty much the end of the movie, though, right there. Um, You know, they do show his gravesite there. Uh, All the graffiti has been, his gravesite is in Paris. Uh, The headstone's been changed. The graffiti has been removed at the request of Jim's parents. Uh, there was a bust there that was stolen sometime in 1988, actually. Fucking assholes. Uh, the grave is, though, surrounded with a steel fence because uh, to prevent any more vandalism. But, um, you know, the, uh, people were even chipping pieces of the stone off of the, head, uh, the head, headstone over the years. Just anything they can do to get a piece of them. Uh, but, yeah... Just fucked up, man, with you people. Unbelievable, though. But, uh, you know, definitely get away. Uh, that's really the end of the movie. It shows basically, you know, at the end, they're just showing them all jamming and Jim singing. and That's about it. But um, this really is, a, I mean, this is a great movie. I'm not going to lie. Oliver Stone usually does make amazing movies. But 
I really like this one. As messed up as it is, I think it's a great movie. And I think Val Kimler has a lot to do with why this movie is good. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't have been the same with anybody else. No, and looking through some of the people he had for this role, if Horrible, horrible, horrible. Horrible. Any of them. Imagine Travolta being John Mor- Jim Morrison. <laughs> but, no, no, but I guess overall, though, would you say it was a, a fair portrayal? Do you think he t- took liberties with the, uh, you know, the stories and the character? In other words, basically what I'm trying to ask you guys, do you think he was fair to the memory of Jim Morrison with this movie? Go do you ahead. think it was a good representation? Go overall? ahead, Bobby. Well, I would say, I mean... The Doors existed before my time, so all I know is what I've seen, mm-hmm. read, and heard. But um, everybody involved in the band, the, the surviving members, and even even Oliver Stone himself says that you know he took he took some liberties. You know, it wasn't a complete a, a, uh, accurate portrayal, but I mean, it just it told the story. The basic story was told. And it was Hollywood. It was show business. So he had to make it a, a good movie as well as telling the story as accurately as he could. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. Um, they were before my time, too. I mean, I was born four years after he died. So yeah. before my time, the music, like I said, you know, my sister's friends got me really into the uh you know the doors led zeppelin more bands you know pink floyd and all that. you know more bands than that but that's a lot of them right there um i'll be honest i don't care what liberties he took in this movie i think the casting for the uh, for uh, for the movie was definitely a plus it it made the movie to where it was just that even if it wasn't a complete accurate depiction of their career, it was a great movie. And that means more to me than being accurate, to be honest. You know what? This is the, the age of information at this point. If I want accurate, I'll go to fucking the the, the Google and look it up. (laughs) I absolutely right. You could find all the information. Exactly. And I know this movie was in 1991 before you could do all that, but even back when this movie first came out, I thought it was an incredible fucking movie. And yeah. I still do to this day. This was one of the movies when I lived alone in my apartment, I would put on the VHS at night and fall asleep to it. It would play, yeah. you know, it would it would replay one time and I would, you know, and that was it. But I would put it in the VHS and this was one of the movies I would fall asleep to. Yeah, It's on my short list of movies that I could watch repeatedly every day and never get tired of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, I could watch it. And you know, for a two-hour and 20-minute movie, it goes very fast. It does. It really does. It does, man. Um, real quick, I'll do a few trivia things on this. The Doors music was playing constantly during filming. Yeah. They had it playing. Um, I already mentioned this, that for a year he played this part. Uh, Val Kimler, there is. In the scenes where uh, Morrison was stoned, he was actually wearing contact lenses to make his pupils as dilated as they were. <laughs> Obviously. Um, 
Now, in the movie, obviously, and in a, you know, a couple of the songs, he brings up Mr. Mojo Ryzen. Oh, yeah, I like this fact. Obviously, an anagram of Jim Morrison. Now, this brings yeah. me to a little, little point I'm going to bring up. I had a friend in Florida who his name was also an anagram of Jim Morrison's. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to mention his name. I don't, I don't, he, I don't think he would listen, but I don't think he'd like his name mentioned either. But, uh, he was, he really thought he was like a, dis, like the Jim Morrison reincarnated. He would try to sing like him and <laughs> he would wear the leather pants and the white shirt and, you know, it, it, he was a weird cat, but he was a cool guy. Kind of got me into smoking <laughs> pot. So, but uh, it all, whenever I hear Mr. Mojo rising, I always think of him. Uh, it's just weird, just a weird thing. He was one of my first uh, first friends down there when I moved there. So, but yeah, uh, doors were never invited back to Ed Sullivan's show. By the way, after using the word <laughs> hire, yeah, never, never, never. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know if you were going to mention, but um, Ed Sullivan told him, he said, he said, you will never be back on the Ed Sullivan. You'll never do the Ed Sullivan show again. And uh, what did Jim Morrison say? He said, we just, we just did. <laughs> we just did. <laughs> we just did the show. Why are we going to come back? <laughs> yeah. So they got that Martin Lawrence treatment. Bang it for life. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's any more. There was so many of of the. I, I've gotten to a lot of them, and I didn't erase them as I was getting to them. I'm trying to go through these. Um, I'm really trying to go through here. Prior to the audition, nope, already mentioned that one. Uh, the outfits the band is wearing during the Ed Sullivan performance is actually accurate. The only one not accurate is Jim Morrison. He was wearing, uh, in the film, he was wearing black shirt with the black leather pants. Or, I'm, yeah. And in the uh, real one, he was wearing the white shirt and the leather jacket. And I believe you could still find that on YouTube. Oh, I'm going to look for that. I believe you can. Um Yeah, that, that is, yeah, that actually is. You, yeah, I believe you can still find that on YouTube. Uh, the Miami concert scene was filmed at the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles. The Real Doors did actually play that auditorium in 1967. Uh, Michael Madsen actually did audition for the role as Jim Morrison. Was later cast as Tom Baker, like I said, after Billy Idol had to switch that part. But uh, damn, that would have been horrible too. <laughs> horrible that would have been. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I'm trying to see, there's a five more here. Uh, Patricia Keneally, the priest of the wedding. Patricia Keneally is actually the real Patricia Keneally, is the, the uh, priestess of the yeah. wedding between Jim and herself. Right. She, that is actual. I did not know that. I'm going to have to actually go back and watch that scene now. Mm-hmm. I'm actually gonna have to go back and watch that fucking scene. I did not know that. I didn't even. Yeah, know. She legally changed her name to put uh, Patricia Keneally Morrison. Really? Yeah, she says that they were actually. Well, she considers that they were actually married uh, during the ceremony, and apparently, he also um, 
he would recognize her as his wife. Yeah. Even though they were not legally married by the courts, he would recognize her as his wife, and she did the same. So. Wow, that's pretty cool. Oh, didn't know that either. Look at the shit I learn. <laughs> oh, shit, man. I've, uh, man. Yep. What do you think? That was, my mind is blown, like, what? But, that, I mean, that, honestly, that's pretty cool. It I mean, is. and once again, that's one of the, it shows that at the, through all of the drugs and all of the shenanigans, he was a stand-up guy. Yeah. In, in some ways. <laughs> in some ways. Um, yeah. I, we said in the beginning the guy was kind of a piece of shit. He was, you could He's blame. He's a rock star. I mean, like, but let's be honest. I mean, you got access to all of the drugs and pussy you want. What you going to do? And that's one of the things. I mean, yeah. he had access I mean, even you know, he was young too. Like, yeah, he was, like, a kid. Like, he was young. People forget. Like, uh-huh. he died when he was twenty-seven. So, who knows what he would have if he had lived? Uh, I, you would hope that he would have evolved as a human being, as a person. Yeah, and Bmegs put a little fact in the chat earlier that I read that you know the band when they walked into concerts, the fans would just be throwing drugs at him. <laughs> Yeah, and you know him. the band members would pocket most of them, but Jim would just pick them up and take them. Oh, oh! Thank you, Meg. I actually wanted to bring that up real quick. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, you say to you know, put yourself in that situation as a fan. You know, like nowadays, everybody has their phones out there, video recording everything. Everybody's offended and shocked oh. by things. So obviously, a Jim Morrison in 2017 probably wouldn't fly. No, but but put yourself back in that time frame. If you're at a concert, say 1967-68, and you're watching a performance by a guy who's clearly under the influence of something, mm-hmm. what would your reaction be? Fuck yeah, man. You think you had offended people in the crowd back then? Or because like, I guess he was speaking to his generation. It was the cops that were offended. And the parents. So you, don't think, you don't think the audience, nobody in the audience was like, oh no, what the fuck is he doing? With, they, with Jim? He was speak, like, well, like you said, he was speaking to his generation. Mm-hmm. And he was, for the most part, when he was on, he was on. Mm-hmm. It, you never knew what the fuck he was going to say, but he was still so poetic that he could make it work. And, and you know what, the, that, the one concert when he was insulting the crowd, right? I, I think you can probably actually find footage of that, that concert. And he really was shitting on the crowd. The crowd turned against him. You know, at first they were into it. They were like, yeah, he was like, you're all a bunch of fucking idiots. They're like, yeah, we're a bunch of fucking idiots. He was like, no, no, you're really a bunch of fucking idiots. You know, and they, they kind of turned on him and started booing him. And like, he would, he would push him away and pull him back and push him back away. And, uh, I, for the most part, they were into it. It was Jim. It was, he was part of the show. He wasn't part of the show. He was the show. So it was acceptable. If he was up there slurring his words and, you know, vomiting on stage and falling over and if it was a shitty performance mm-hmm. it would have been okay but as long as he was still able to give some kind of performance the crowd is into it what would they have to complain about yeah yeah and you know by the way you said on youtube you can find the 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 san francisco stuff uh you can find them doing some songs in 1967 uh, they're doing soul kitchen you can find for, you know, that. Uh, they've got um, even The Doors in Miami, 14-minute long video. Uh, they've got the Shaman Ritual from 1968 that we were playing, Not to Touch the Earth, 
on here and the doors in concert and on youtube there are some fucking good videos of the uh the doors here that are real cool i'm gonna watch them all yeah, i'm gonna check them <laughs> out it kind of makes you think like what if we had like a real life eddie and the cruisers type of situation if they found like a hidden fucking jim morrison uh some unreleased vocals that he never uh, uh let out there for the public think they would sell like gangbusters now oh yeah and you know they did recently release there was an album his mother and father put out a while ago that did have a, an, an, a one new original track on it. Mm. And I can't think of it right now, but there was. There was actually another, there was actually an album that was released uh, after his death as well, where mm-hmm. he just, he wasn't singing. I think he recorded a bunch of uh, spoken word. Right. And, you know, the guys they played over his over his words mm-hmm. you know. right 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 right, right, so. right. let me see here just trying to find that I, I can't find it right now i don't have the time to type and look for it but uh yeah there was a, a an album that came out one of the best like a best of type of album but he was there was an original never released song on there mm. uh-huh yeah but uh yeah. damn dude Fucking excellent movie. We're uh, creeping up on the three-hour mark here. Who? <laughs> yeah. I, again, I mean, I I thought we were going to be much longer. <laughs> well, the doors, man. It's the, it's the music. Great fucking movie. Great music. Great soundtrack. If you can get this soundtrack, get it. Oh, and uh, good news, folks. There is actual footage of the uh, Ed Sullivan incident. Oh, it good. It exists on YouTube. I want to watch that, too. I'm gonna have to go look up some Doors videos now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you guys have opened my eyes to some things. I'm gonna look up some clips. Yeah, now, I, <laughs> I, I, I really want to see Morrison. Like, fuck. I mean, sometimes it, it honestly, sometimes after we do a show, I swear I'll wake up the next day at some point and just go on YouTube and just look up old clips. Yeah, I mean, you kind of want to see... educate myself further the things I kind of missed out on. Yeah, I mean, I want to see, you know, I want to kind of look now that I've seen them. I haven't looked at all these. I kind of like to see what the movie uh, was true about and what the movie wasn't. So I'm going to take a look at some of those. Yeah, and honestly, it actually surprises me, like, that we haven't seen, like, a movie, a a documentary movie on uh, the Beatles yet. Like, a true, like, movie on the Beatles. Because you'd think a movie like that would write itself. Yoko probably has something to say about it. Well, she can't live forever. That's <laughs> I don't. But think all you... I can say is I hope your enthusiasm, the guy, the uh, affection you guys have for this movie, I hope I can say the same thing next week after I see all eyes on me. Because there I, you go. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm concerned at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I personally think the movie would have been better with John Singleton as the director, but he basically stepped off because of creative differences. He felt like it was going to focus too much on the negative, and he wanted to tell like an overarching story, mm-hmm. a Tupac's life, and not just focus on, oh, he got shot, he got accused of rape, he put out a bunch of, uh, <laughs> put out a bunch of disc records and then died. <laughs> he didn't yeah. want that to be the whole movie. Yeah, great movie. I don't know. I guess you'll have to see, man, and you will let us know. I'll have to find a way to watch it. I'll have to find a way to watch it. Let's see. It comes out what Thursday. 
comes out Friday on Friday. his birthday, which oh, is another. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to. Yeah, that's, that 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 that, um, that could that could be the greatest thing ever. Or it could be a bad fucking omen. Yeah, we might have to wait a week. We'll see. We'll figure it out, man. Yeah. But uh, shit, Bobby, glad yes, you joined sir. us, man. Really glad. Thank you. I've been I've been dying to do this one, man. Yeah, this was definitely a, a good movie to do, and I'm glad we did it. Um, and uh, Anthony, anything else? No, thank you, Bobby Box. Yep. Thank you. you just, go. just th- thank you, thank you guys for dropping some knowledge on me about the Doors. Yep. Jim Morrison. And Crazy uh, yeah, good shit, good shit tonight. Crazy Jim, man. So there you go. Don't forget to check out uh, us next week right here, mixer.com slash THD podcast, 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, check out me and Shaheen Wednesday night right here, mixer.com slash THD podcast for THD wrestling podcast. And Sunday night, you're going to want to check out uh, J-Cat, Morris, and Shaheen. I know Shaheen's going to might not even be home from uh, he'll be at a tournament of death tomorrow. So uh, we'll, uh, I'm sure he'll talk a lot about that Sunday night. So check us out right here, too. And uh, on that note, like I said, appreciate it, Anthony. Bobby, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And uh, there you go, everybody. I go home and get your fucking shine box. There you go. I am the fucking Lizard King. I can do anything, motherfuckers. This is the end. My only friend. Peace.